Yeah. Yeah. Seems like a conscious revolt against your own intelligence. Uh, well, you know, drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Josh, Brady, it's the season to be merry. And I don't want to hear otherwise. Since goth Christmas has passed us now, it's time for us to let the Christmas spirit shower down on us. Let us be like Carrie and let the seasoned spirit be like a bucket of pig's blood, warming our sweet, surprised faces as it washes over us. But listen, can you hear it? The sound of sleigh bells. Ting, 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 ting. The warm laughter and glee. <laughs> the warm laughter and glee of children threatening their parents for a new Xbox. Mariah Carey cooling herself after a spectacular Christmas performance with a chilled glass of stem cells harvested from foreskins. <laughs> Guys, it's fucking Christmas time. Yeah! <laughs> Welcome! One and all to the Solid Six Movie Podcast. I am your host for the next two episodes, the spirit of Christmas anxiety, Alison DeGrazio. And I'm joined by these two horny elves, Christmas Pickle, Joshua Griffith, and sad sugar cookie, Brady Kimball. Oh. <laughs> As a reminder, how you did you choose these names? <laughs> <laughs> Where's this coming from? It's, it's, it just comes to me like poetry, the poetry that I hate so much. You're just reminding me of memories of my grandma. No joke. Thanks a lot. Really? <laughs> Why are you crying, Brady? It's Christmas. <laughs> As a reminder, you can always check in with us by email or by leaving a voice message uh, at podcast at solid6.net or going to the website at www.solid6.net and clicking on the microphone link. This activates a two minute window of chaos that you get to play around in. And we will quite likely play it on the next episode. Yes. Very likely. Very likely. 100% statistically true. We have not filtered out anything yet. I don't think so. I mean, we'll have to consult our lawyer and make sure that certain things are okay. We haven't. Actually, we haven't even sought legal counsel. Should we get into that? I'm just kidding. I I mean... Jonathan Utah Esquire is waiting. I'm like... I'm imagining a like a like a dog lawyer, like someone who defends dogs, and like coming and wearing what? like <laughs> yeah. And there's like some like like well dressed greyhound who's like the villain in the movie. <laughs> yes, yes. But or he's like, like he's like a, a golden retriever with sunglasses. <laughs> yes, and that's a representation. Holy so. cow! <laughs> this is right. <laughs> law bud <laughs> or bud law? Bud law, yeah, yeah. Bud law four. Um, also guys, we really only interact on the social medias for Twitter and Instagram. So please follow us on Instagram at at solid six podcast or on Twitter at solid six podcast. This is where we kind of do most of our shit. Also mm-hmm. letterbox though. Letterbox too. Letterbox yeah. too. Um, and please contribute to our letterbox lists of, uh, child throwing mm. and man on fire, which is every movie ever made. Yeah. 
Um, and we were going to do incest list. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? I was seriously just Why waiting not? for us to move on. I was like holding the table to be like, I hope she doesn't remember last week. <laughs> I was, I was desperately not feeling well last episode last week, but I remember. Degrassio Shit. remembers. I feel like there are other podcasts that are better equipped to put together that list. <laughs> I feel like we should just stay in our lane. We so have no lane. lanes, Josh. Mm. No, that's the whole point of the show is we are open to all categories. I don't mm-hmm. think you understand what that means. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. Well, anyway, guys, I want to welcome everyone to Is This a Christmas Movie? series. Move over, Die Hard. Shut your pie hole, dial code Santa Claus. Suck my butt, Black Christmas. Drown in some old milk, gingerbread man. It's time to lay down the red carpet for tonight's feature, 1989's lesser-known Christmas classic, Jeffrey Mandel's Elves. Yeah. I think Allison just showed her hand by calling it a classic. I mean, I don't... I think it's a classic for some people. Mm. But we, you know, but that's like... What are you saying? (laughs) About... Short people, perhaps? <laughs> Germans? The Japanese apparently love this movie. Really? Yeah, it's like a huge hit in Japan. Huh. Yes. It's a soon-to-be classic, I think. I, I don't recognize that a lot of people know about this, but I am certainly tired of some of our friends going like, oh my God, a Christmas classic, Die Hard, right? I'm like, come on, guys. Mm-hmm. We can move on. Yeah. Let's, let's move on. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to Cobra. Mm-hmm. I think that makes a good substitute. I don't know why I'm I'm drawing such a huge blank on like Christmas-ish movies or movies that are set also in Christmas because there's so many of them. Yeah. Like I, there's so many movies where there's like random uh, lethal weapon. Yeah. Um, uh, technically, Night of the Hunter was a Christmas movie. That's, that's right. True. Yeah. I'm just ushering in maybe a lesser known. I just want any movie about dysfunctional families to be considered a Christmas movie, even if it's in the middle of summer. What was the one that was Kathy Bates in uh, where, oh, geez. About Schmidt. No. Misery. Yes. No. No. The other one where she kills her husband in the ditch because he's been fiddling with her daughter. Not Salem's Lot. Wait, what? (sighs) (laughs) I don't know this movie. No. I'll think of it later. everything. (laughs) Let's find out what this movie is. Kathy Bates incest. Kathy Bates... The Dolores Claiborne. Yes, ah, there you go. Okay. It's a great right. movie. Uh, <laughs> a typing Christmas murder movie. <laughs> I'm a Google search king. <laughs> <laughs> Quickest guns in the West. <laughs> We're adding Dolores Claiborne, which takes place in the summertime on an eclipse. Christmas. An eclipse Christmas? An eclipse Christmas in New England. You know, the Christmas spirit lives in all of us. So who's to say what time Christmas really occurs? Exactly. Remember when they were trying to do Christmas in summertime? In the 19, 1960s, 70s? No, I don't know Summertime any of Summertime Christmas. And it was like Santa Claus wearing the Hawaiian t-shirts. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> that was like a whole thing. Santa Claus is an outrageous party animal. <laughs> Wait, did he teach Spuds McKenzie how to surf? Because that checks out. <laughs> All right, we're writing Rad Santa. We're writing it tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and it's basically Beverly Hills... What's that hobo movie with Nick Nolte? Down and Out, Beverly Hills. Yeah. You two are pulling 
very strange movies tonight. We're, we're Dolores trying really, Claiborne listen, down, and Holly, down and Out Holly right? or Beverly Hills. Down and Out in Beverly Hills. It's like Richard Dreyfus discovers the bum in his pool. And he's just like, he's but just the, like, wants but to hang the out. But the bum is Santa. I'm, the Santa's coming in from the left field. I'm making that up. It's Nick yeah. Nolte. And it's basically a rich family in Beverly Hills adopts a hobo. I don't think Summer there's Santa. any Santas in the car wash in my picks later. But mm, Okay. Well, on that, let's let's check in with the cast, you guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brady, how are you doing? I have so much to talk about. Oh. But I will restrain myself to only movies. I will talk about... <laughs> do you want to know? Is that a threat? <laughs> what's, what's going on? Well, it was one of the topics it is, but uh, my IMAX thing. But um, oh, oh God, we need to talk about that seriously. When you when you text us about that, and I was like, "How is he seeing Kanye right now?" And 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 then you said it was the, at the IMAX theater, and Josh and I both paused, and we like I like grabbed my chest, and I was like, "You know, I'm happy that we know someone who's doing this, that you have the passion, but also like it's so nerdy. It's history. Okay." I can deconstruct the last five years and how we got to do the other night, but I won't. I'll just say it was awesome to be wiling out, as they say, you know, off the chain. Mm. Thanks, Millhouse. <laughs> <laughs> but every Kanye fan's a Millhouse. At least every white kid that's a Kanye fan's a Millhouse. Mm. It was awesome. But fuck Drake. Yeah. But it was awesome. But fuck Drake. It was legitimately cool. That's cool. LA Coliseum full of 70,000 people. Mm, that's fun. That is fun. Mm. Anywho. Wait, did he float away like he did? In, oh, yeah. Did he fly away? Did he fly away? He did not, but his uh, choir came out and sang for a little bit, which was cool. They have a really great Adele cover. Um, oh. I highly recommend you check that out. But no, they built a giant stucco platform thing so that the like reflective paint could shoot off of it. And they look like they're on the fluorescent light beam. I 100% nice. Was expecting you to say that they created a giant stucco sculpture of Kanye. No, he wouldn't do that. I don't. You know him better than anybody. Mm-hmm. But I don't. <laughs> I don't. And I can only create these wild ideas of what I think Kanye yeah. might be doing. He performs songs that he hasn't played in six years, oh, seven years. Cool. And he played stuff from his entire career. So. Sure. Which is a big deal. I've been following the career of an art director that works in stagecraft named Ez Devlin for a while now. Mm -hmm. And I think that, honestly, Kanye is like her muse. Like, I think that he is going to be the one that's just going to keep her employed, keep her activated, keep her doing her best work. Because when she was doing like uh, stagecraft for like rock bands or like art shows or theater productions, her stuff was great, but it wasn't like blowing everyone's mind. The moment she got involved with hip hop, Jay-Z and Beyonce and Kanye, like that's when her career really started to kind of explode. So I'm, I'm happy they found each other. Nice. Yeah. I like the connection. Yeah. Um, do you want to hear about 70s crime or do you want to hear about softcore first? Oh, softcore! Boy. All right, well. All right. Oh, wait, we can end on softcore. Okay. Saving the best for last. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> So this week I watched the Anderson Tapes from 1971, which is a Sidney Lumet movie starring Sean Connery. And it has Christopher Walken in his first appearance. <gasps> Baby Walken. And Walkin. a fantastic soundtrack by Quincy Jones. Ooh. Famous Quincy Jones who worked with Michael Jackson and Frank Sinatra and wrote many 
many a movie soundtrack. So Sean Connery plays a guy who just got out of prison after 10 years. And immediately he wants to rob a apartment complex that overlooks Central Park. Mm. So Richie Riches. Sure. Mm -hmm. He was obviously in prison for being a thief. So he just can't help himself. And so he goes about putting together his team. So it's kind of like a proto Ocean's Eleven kind of situation, especially with the Quincy Jones, like funk soul, cool hip soundtrack. And it methodically breaks down how they set up this heist because instead of it just being like a heist for a specific diamond in a safe, they just go into every single apartment and decide what they want to steal, but they don't know what's in there, right? They're just making assumptions. So like they go into one room and it's like, oh, it's some art. And another one, it's an old lady's bonds from, you know, the late 1800s or gold coins. So they just make assumptions, which obviously there's certain houses that don't have anything. There's like, you know, contemporary hipsters that live in like a, uh, polyester, uh, lucite, nightmarish, fever dream. Oh boy. And they don't own anything of value, right? I feel so, like you just described our house. <laughs> <laughs> just this vapor Jesus, wave. Jesus, Brady. <laughs> yeah, so it's a nice little uh, humorous, but also like kind of anxiety-inducing part of the movie, right? Where it's like, what? They don't have anything. Let's move on. But then that couple's kind of impervious to the whole heist, right? Because everyone else in the room or in the, the building is like old people. Mm. Yeah. It's like, oh, what are you doing? And this couple's like, whatever. Like, we're over it. It is a proto weird artifact. And when I say proto, you can think about like other proto things of mm -hmm. like, it's kind of got the structure of the genre, but there's also some really janky things about it. Um, some very strange politics around sex, but I can't tell if they're trying to be lighthearted. Like if it's a George Clooney and Julia Roberts situation where, you know, the woman is very powerful and she's like controlling Sean Connery or if it's this weird, like kind of rapey vibe. I don't, it's, it's, it's strange. It's very strange. It feels like Sean Connery was looking for some interesting things to do. It's like some yeah. projects to do after he left the James Bond franchise. Like, you know, Zardos was just like a couple years after this. So I feel like he was like trying to, trying to like expand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would make sense. I, I was going to ask you, is, uh, is Christopher Walken the proto hipster? Kind of. Yeah. Kind of. I mean, he's got a really nice flowing sandy blonde mane. I'm looking at it right now. He's, he's, uh, he gets out of prison and he's like, I think his first line when he walks down the escalator at the bus stop is, oh, can't you just, I just love America. I can't, I could just eat it. Oh, I just, I just love America. I could just, I could just eat, I can't do it. <laughs> he didn't have any of that. He didn't have any of that. Yeah. Chase me. Chase me. He didn't None have of the yet. weird, yeah. He hadn't had it. He did not have any of that accent. Kind of like the old neighborhood New York kind of thing. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. A little bit, huh? A little bit, but I don't know if it was like a over time a physical affectation or if it was more like he played into the cartoon. Oh, wait a minute. Do you think that he? I wonder. It's like is Christopher <laughs> Walk? Is that how he just is? And he was able to have the freedom to just be himself. Like, is he acting in this movie? And he's just like, he's just playing the character of himself in every other thing. I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly cast as himself. <laughs> get on the show. <laughs> ah. No, he plays like a really cool, calm, collected safe cracker. Oh. Oh. So he doesn't have a lot of lines. So I wasn't really uh -huh. paying attention to the accent. But even then, it wasn't cartoonish like that. So 
Okay. Who knows? Who knows? But hmm. another thing of note is that towards the ending, the last 20 minutes, Sidney Lumet decides to try to experiment a little bit with the editing where they show the police interviewing the victims before the heist is completed. Oh. So it hops, skips, and jumps back and forth between the heist and then like a mini memento. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh-huh. And it was kind of jarring, but also charming because it was like, hey, this is 71. They're trying to do something different. So, yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. I'm trying to remember when did the conversation come out, but it, this has got a little bit of... 72? Oh, boy. I have to look it up. I don't remember. It came out the same year as something else that Coppola did. Okay. Maybe maybe Godfather 2 or something like that. 74. I, okay. So I ask because surveillance plays a heavy part in this movie. Ah. The plot device here is that people in the IRS or private investigators, you know, basically the system or the man is surveilling uh, Sean Connery's character. Hence the title. Illegally. Oh. And the idea is that after they do their deeds they're like oh shit like what do we how do we handle this because we have to right. we have to show our our hand yeah so it's like early surveillance state very prescient uh-huh. um because sean connery is unaware that he's being bugged you could just say team eyebrows <laughs> and cover both <laughs> i relate yeah i relate <laughs> go team you guys both do have exceptional eyebrows. we all yeah. have great eyebrows look at yeah. us thank you so it's all audio recording I believe. Yeah, there's no video. So it's like various characters um, kind of piecing together recordings of him throughout different rooms. Actually, that's not true. In the lead up to the heist, they get video evidence without audio. Mm. So they have lip readers like helping to piece this all together. And that's why they know what he's doing with this heist. Mm. Spoiler. Anyway, I recommend it if you're into like kind of B-tier heist movies, kind of a curiosity, a little artifact from the 70s. I'm just curious, like how would, how would you compare it in like qualitatively like to the conversation? Because conversation would like really kind of like rolled over us like a wave. Yeah. Nah, not even close. Not even close. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. All right. So it is, it's more of a curiosity. Yeah. It is. Okay. It's totally, okay. Totally okay. curiosity. Okay. I mean, Quincy Jones's soundtrack was personally my favorite part of the movie. The surveillance was probably the second favorite part. And then the third was like seeing Sean Connery and Christopher Walken doing Cracker Jack Walken. (laughs) Doing less normal things. Yeah. And we got to talk about some softcore. It's been a while. Yeah, softcore. So I watched the Bikini Car Wash Company from 1992. Yes, you did. 1992. <laughs> this is directed by Ed Hansen, uh, who co-directed Robo Chic with uh, the director of Elves, Jeff Mandel. So Bikini Car Wash is Jim basically... Jim Yeah. Oh, he's in it. He's nice. in it as one of the car wash employees. Mm, of course he is. God. So Bikini Car Wash Company is like if you took a Frankie Avalon and Annette Funicello movie, like Beach Party or Bikini Beach, and added them to like a Playboy Channel. Music video. Yeah. 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 <laughs> God, the socks were really so large in the 90s. Oh, that's great. I don't think any of these girls are using their real names. <laughs> <laughs> Christy Ducati, Ricky Brando, Naraya Davis. I am suspicious of the origins of these ladies' names. Oh, but I, this, those are some crazy bikinis. Yes. This movie. I love the dude in the Corvette, like looking up 
mouth agape going like, oh, I've never seen a vagina. Like just completely shocked. They play it as a comedy. So like they're intentionally trying to make all these grown men act like a, I don't know what you, like if it would be, I'm trying to think of it's like Jerry Lewis. I'm trying to think of the the kind of, no, it's like a Looney Tunes cartoon. That's totally what it is. I like the the wolf, Mm -hmm. the the Mm -hmm. Howlin' Wolf. Including, including the sound effects. There's like cartoonish sound effects. Is there, is there like a bike horn? Like, ah, (laughs) Ah, Mm -hmm. yep. Oh, wonderful. So So, this movie's plot. Can I describe the plot? Yes. Yes. They're going to save the community center. (laughs) (laughs) The guy arrives from Iowa to LA and asks a woman on the beach where he can find a car wash that his uncle runs. And he's going to help his uncle run the car wash because his uncle is having a terrible aller- allergy problem and needs to go to the hospital. So he's stepping in as the manager for his uncle's car wash and then proceeds to meet a bunch of great characters who are helping him to increase the sales of the car wash. So he obviously needs a bunch of naked ladies so it's about- shooting water hoses at their faces. and mm. It's about civic pride. <laughs> totally. it's, about, it's about community. <laughs> it's also a... And titties. Yes. It's also a grave indictment of our health insurance system because <laughs> oh, it's, oh, it's, God. his, his uh, health care bills were a little bit higher than the uh, nephew anticipated. So he implores everyone uh, to chip in extra. I see. $8,000? <laughs> How are we going to cover that? Don't worry, Billy. <laughs> so imagine like Warren's like cherry pie music video, yes. but like 20 times on loop. Yeah. And way, way, way more nudity. And yes. Yep. Comes with its own pack of Kleenex (laughs) or gym sock, you know, whatever. There is no sexiness to this movie. Oh, really? Is there no? All right. Also, I had heard of this movie from Get Soft with Dr. Snuggles, who covers softcore. And they picked this movie like two or three years ago. So I was like, hey, this movie's come up multiple times. It's time to watch it. It's time. You know, the the bikini car wash subgenre is a blind spot for me. So I figured... I'm really digging this one blonde that has like the pink chaps on leaning over the blue car. Just two healthy, thick, golden rolling hills mm-hmm. of her backside while she gives a wink to the camera. There's some great cinematography in this. <laughs> I don't doubt it. <laughs> well lit hoses, you know, water spraying people in their in their face. How you many know? slow motion shots are there? There aren't many, actually. Oh. This movie's tasteful. Okay, awesome. I'm really disappointed. <laughs> it's about the character growth. <laughs> There's <In> my pants. <laughs> <laughs> there are some asses on the window. There are some titties on the windows. Um, but there is a lot of like just like women being told off screen to dance in the middle of a car wash. And then they just film them for three to five minutes while like really cheesy butt rock plays. I wish I looked up the bands. Um because there's like a couple bands, uh, I could tell there was like two or three, and uh, they played nonstop. So just like ninety minutes straight of hair metal. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So this is what I do with my free time. Okay, my, my wife doesn't know I watch this. So apparently, there's a band called Bicycle. Okay, all right, and it's got um, at the rate I'm going, learning to trust the BBC mm-hmm. interlude for me, shift key. Are you my girlfriend? The devil. These are the songs? That's what's coming up. Okay. 
I thought maybe you're having a seizure. <laughs> <laughs> no, they did the soundtrack for Bikini Car Wash. Bicycle. The Bikini Boys. Bicycle. Mm-hmm. Now we're rolling. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> well, on that note, Josh, how you doing? <laughs> I'm always having more fun when my notes for the show are really light. Because <laughs> I have nothing to look at. I'm doing well. Um, you know, I've been playing a lot of Red Dead Redemption 2. Oh, nice. Which is set in the American West. And as a result, I've also been thinking a lot about Westerns. So the other day, it's on all these lists. It's generally well-regarded. And you've talked about it before, Brady. Uh, so I decided to finally just give in to Meek's Cutoff and put that on. And really interesting movie. Like, obviously, some very... Um, uh, capable and like risk oriented filmmaking. I'll just say that. Um, like the audio design immediately struck me. It was like, okay, like you're getting this constant squeak of this wagon wheel like, yeah. through the entire movie. And that's like a device to let you know, it's basically telling you like how long these folks have been out there, like pushing this wagon train across. It's about uh, a bunch of settlers moving from, I think Missouri is where they're coming from and they're headed to Oregon. It's set and filmed in uh, Oregon, specifically in Eastern Oregon. If you're thinking of Oregon and you're not from here, you're probably thinking of like pine trees and the coast and all that stuff. But guess what? Eastern Oregon is actually a high desert. It's like scrubby, like little little bits of grass. It's kind of a wasteland. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. mostly a wasteland. Yep, yep. And these settlers are crossing this basically wasteland on their way out to the Willamette Valley and ultimately to the Columbia River. Uh, The main conceit of the movie is that they are starting to run out of water uh, because they might be lost. And then they run into a uh, Native American and they're not sure what to do. Um, The title Meeks Cutoff is in reference to like their hired guide, a man named Meeks, who is kind of like a buckskin wearing like wild bill larger than life, like sort of caricature of the old West. Um, and he has all kinds of stories, uh, but he might be full of shit. We don't exactly know. A little nihilistic. Yeah. Yeah. And the other, it's got a fantastic cast. It's got Michelle Williams, Will Patton, uh, Bruce Greenwood, and of course, uh, Paul Dano, along with Paul Dano's wife, Zoe Kazan. And I, the performances are great. The writing is very smart. The directing is sharp. The only thing that I will say is that it has an open ending. It ends with a question mark. And while that I think is going to satisfy some people, for a more conventional audience, it's going to throw them. I'll be honest. I was kind of on the fence about it. Like I thought it was cool, but I was also like, well, do they ever get the water? Do you want to talk about it? Sure. Lay it on me, Bray. Because I know you're a fan of this movie, right? Yeah. And Kelly Reichert in general, Mm because she's... She's got some other hits. Yeah. So with the ending, Michelle Williams is staring through a tree and the tree, sorry, she's staring in between tree branches. And this is a tree that's half dead, half alive. Right. And it's the first time they've seen any semblance of evidence of water being close by. And by the point that the ending occurs, the power dynamics in the group had shifted from Meek to maybe the Native American, maybe Mm -hmm. to Michelle Williams' character, because Mm -hmm. finally... She's no longer on the outside looking in, right? The entire movie is basically filmed from the perspective of the women out on the outside looking into the men. Mm-hmm. And then in the last few 
minutes after she shoots the gun, she gets centered into the middle of this, right? And so there's this power dynamic at the ending of like, do we follow the Native American who's walking off into the distance? Do we follow Michelle Williams? Do we follow Meek who's just full of shit who's conceding power um, because he was wrong and they found something against his protests of killing killing the Native American. So there's kind of three endings, right? Mm-hmm. That's how I interpret Maybe there's more that the two of you can think of beyond those three possibilities. But just from a power dynamic, it's one of those three people. Okay. My interpretation is that Michelle Williams is just going to carry bear the brunt of whatever happens, right? It's really the story. It's a feminist Western mm-hmm. where it's really just this continuing <laughs> drudgery a Michelle Williams being the true quiet leader that's leading everyone. And meanwhile, all these men are fighting. So it's like, whether they follow the Native American after the ending or Meek ends up taking back over, it's like, it doesn't matter. She's the quiet leader that's holding everybody together. Mm. Yeah. So to me, that's that's the ending. Okay. She's dreading the outcome because she's like a, uh, um, not a begrudging leader, but like a thankless, a thankless leader. Okay. Allison? I, I'm going to admit, like, Josh and I talked about this movie a lot over the weekend, and I was pretty frustrated with it. I was trying to piece together what the symbol of the tree, because the tree had been struck by lightning and it had caused a fire. There was there was fire scars behind the tree in right. the grass. And fire is transformative and healing. <laughs> and so we have we have the Native American gentleman who... Really disregards the tree. Yeah, yeah. he, he He's doesn't cruising give it, on by. Yeah, he doesn't care, but he is walking into kind of this purification, like yeah, where he is very confident walking away. But we have there's never any indication of what he's trying to express or translation. It's a lot of distrust coming from these Western travelers, and yeah. I very much understood that it was a woman's story. I just. I, I'm I'm frustrated with myself because I I needed to have there wasn't a climax. No. Then there's not an ending. Riker movies don't work that way. Yeah. So, so it's, it's just cinema, which is fine. Which is fine. You know what? No, for me, I guess it wasn't. I just I had a tough time with it. Mm-hmm. I I don't dislike the movie at all. I th- I think it's interesting to watch. I don't know that I'd go back and watch it again. But I just, the fact that there was missing like two key elements of storytelling just kind of left me going like, Bleh. even though the cinematography was great, but also the uh, the miking wasn't done well. Well, the sound design was obviously a very deliberate choice because what it sound, we were debating about what the sound design or how they were doing the sound yeah. while they were recording. Because it seemed like there was like a person with like perhaps a boom mic, like following the action around. Yes. Because it sometimes if seemed like an actor was like well mic'd up and like you could hear everything and then the person they're talking to would say something and you don't hear hardly at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or they're actually recording people in the distance and like it's not even like a question of the volume. Like it's you can't really hear what they're saying. Right. Yeah. The entire movie is sending the signal of suffocation, right? Whether it's something as obvious as the aspect ratio or things like the women's bonnets where they're constantly hidden or constantly being oppressed and their faces are always in shadows mm-hmm. or the characters being extremely small against these giant landscapes. Yeah. So it's really effective in telling the, the story of the landscapes because most Westerns, if you think about it, are ro- very romantic. But having grown up in these types of environments, 
let me tell you, when you get off the road for like 20 minutes, you're like, mm, do I have cell reception? Ah, and do I have enough water? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Growing up in that, it's it's very different than the romanticized Western. So yeah. there, there aren't many that really capture how dangerous and how anxiety inducing it is. And yeah. I feel like all the mm, techniques that she uses, including the sound, worked, worked for me. I honestly, I'm, I'm just, I'm more so kind of frustrated with myself that I'm just not able to, it's like visually all the symbolism is very obvious, but I, I am disappointed with myself that I just can't get over the fact that it just is, it would be like me telling you a story of walking to the water cooler and then talking to you about my grandmother. Like, it's just like, there's no, and you're like, cool, what next? I'd be like, no, but then we just sat, she and I talked. We had some tea. It was Earl Grey tea. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I've seen three movies of hers and all three of them I love. Mm-hmm. Old Joy, Wendy and Lucy, and um, Meek's Cutoff. And yet, even then, her last two movies I've started and I'm like, I can't do this right now. And I turn them off because I know that kind of style that she's doing. Like I have to be in the right headspace. So yeah. I, I it's 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 challenging. Her stuff is challenging. Yeah. Um, and she's intentionally doing that. Like she's asking you to meet the movie at her place and not the other way around. I think challenging is a good word for it. I'd also say that perhaps with this one back in 2010, maybe even overconfident. Uh, obviously, she's doing some really great stuff and she's making some bold moves. But there was really, it was a very well-structured narrative up until the time that the movie just stops. And because I don't think that there was any, like with like a David Lynch movie or some other more like flourishy, like, you know, avant-garde directors, you get all kinds of indications that they're willing to do kind of like weird stuff or like throw the audience this way or that. Whereas Meek's Cutoff, other than the sort of tighter symbolism stuff that you're talking about with like the bonnets and the landscaping and the framing and all that stuff, like the, the true cinema, like art form concepts, from a narrative structure, she doesn't really indicate at all that she's going to do anything like that hard. And so for, for me, the ending was sudden and kind of unsatisfying. And I, I kind of had to sit with it for a while before some of the other merits of the movie started to kind of grow on me. Mm. So as far as whether I would recommend it, I would 100% recommend it. Like, I think it's, I think it's really cool. Having said that, uh, you may want to prepare to be frustrated. There's not enough tits. <laughs> <laughs> do they make it to the car wash <laughs> in time <laughs> yeah, that's such a great I am so stoked bikini car wash company led into Meek's cut off I mean this, this is, podcast is flying high this is us this is it we did it guys this is this is the absolute definition of what we were trying to do right <laughs> nothing's off limits everything is as good as everything and our audience is zero <laughs> <laughs> they turned it off an hour yeah. ago uh, <laughs> and also the, I will say, I'll also mention that the, um, the rhythm, the practice of me finding these video art objects has continued. Oh my God. We're going to talk about it. <laughs> oh my God. So let's see. We had, um, surviving edge weapons a while ago. <laughs> we had uh, puppies crash Christmas this week. I just wanted to talk about, uh, cologne season or perfume season. So Christmas is coming and, why cologne and perfume ads fascinate me so much is because the assignment is so bizarre and has so many criteria attached to it. Yeah. Um, First of all, in our world, our audio visual world, 
There's so much that can be transmitted electronically, but guess what? Smell isn't one of them. <laughs> and smell is a physical quanta. It's like a, it's a material and you have to be in its presence in order to experience it, right. which is actually one of the reasons why it's so transformative in your brain. But other you know, film directors have been able to describe smell through cinema before, but that's not really what cologne ads are there to do. No, they're not selling you the sense of the product. Right. So uh, they have <laughs> cologne and perfume ads for the most part are these days a highly manicured piece of corporate art mm-hmm. masquerading as avant-garde. And yes. then maybe sometimes they tell you what it smells like, but not really. They typically fall into major buckets, uh, which is brand building. It's like, it's all about like, usually that's kind of like the, the, the lowest mm-hmm. is like, they're not really, they don't care what the product is. They don't really care who you are. They're just trying to tell you about us and yeah. see if maybe you fit in. Uh, so if mind, mind share as they call it. Oh, mind. Is that a term? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. So, uh, perfect by Mark Jacobs or Dior home or home or Bloom by Gucci, which is the ad starring Dakota Johnson, which is actually quite lovely. But again, it's really just brand building. Yeah. Then there's the virtue, virtue signaling, which is <laughs> we're going to live in a fantasy environment and like speak to you about what your goals might be. Like your abstract sort of in like your dream state kind of goals. So that would be like Chloe Lao, uh, Perfume Kinzo World, Gabrielle by Chanel starring Kristen Stewart. And then finally, and this is probably the most common, is like the fantasy world of the cologne. So where this all started for me is I was sitting in a bar years ago, getting pissed off at a commercial. This commercial stars Johnny Depp. It's it's for a cologne called Sauvage, right? And this was at the very beginning of the cultural appropriation conversation, right? So this was all the news and all like the articles and everything. And... Uh, Johnny Guyliner Depp is getting into his uh, flat black <laughs> Mopar muscle car driving off into the desert to play like blues guitar by himself with like a wolf <laughs> in his turquoise jewelry. And all that's fine. But I was really annoyed at the choice of car because, you know, I'm a car guy. And I was like, how fucking dare you? get into uh, a charger or maybe no, it was a charger. I think it was a, I think it was a Barracuda and <laughs> drive off into the fucking desert. Like you go get yourself like a Ferrari or a Corvette or something, but you leave the Mopar alone. Cause like you're a rich guy. Like, why are you going to like, get you know, like the working man's muscle car? I don't know. It bothered me. And, but that, that annoyance activated this whole like critical eye opening <laughs> of perfume ads and cologne commercials in general. Tuesday, awesome. Tuesday was a really long day. Long was it for you. It was long for me. I was loving it. Tuesday, I got home from work and and I'm sitting with Josh and he starts playing the commercials and I'm getting mad. Like I'm I'm physically getting angry cuz I'm tired of watching Charlize Theron pronounce Dior. Yeah. Dior. J'adore. J'adore Dior. And I'm I'm tired of like like rich, listless, sweaty people like yeah. lounging and, and lying all over things. And I was just like, I'm gonna go make dinner. You know, like, like 
But the thing is, like you, you were also fascinated because you kept coming back in, you kept sitting down, and then you would get mad again and then leave again. I had things that were time sensitive in the kitchen, so I would have like a like a five minute window to come check out what was going on. I'm like, no, it's still I can't. It's still stupid. And so he had gone through like 80s, 90s, 2000s, like modern day. And I'm like, they're all so far away from any kind of lifestyle that I could possibly imagine for myself that it feels like they're rubbing my goddamn face in their rich person's shit. And I'm like... I, I don't know. So I just like every time I was watching, I was like, fuck you. Fuck your skinny French ass. Like, or, like, or you could buy it and feel rich. That's the other thing. <laughs> that's, that's the other thing is that a lot of people are never going to buy or a lot. Most people, not, not never or whatever, but it's rare to go and buy like a piece of Gucci or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Yves Saint Laurent or anything like that. Like these are like premier brands. At least I can smell like cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, for the holiday season, like usually like the lowest cost item that these major houses can sell you is their perfume. And it's also a great way for them to sort of build a brand. Right. So they're throwing all this money at these ads to build a brand to sell you their lowest product because that's like their entry. That's how they get in your brain Mm -hmm. is if they can make you like a Burberry fan or a Coco fan or whatever. Like that's how they're, they're claiming (laughs) there's nice, there's like knife fights against Gucci and like, like Hilfiger, just like so, so. Ugh. I love it. It's totally working on Josh because you're just like name dropping all of these no, brands. <laughs> so good. And I'm it, just it, waiting it, for you to make your own Killer Janice, like Woodland's Dark and Days Begun yeah, or whatever it's called. Yeah. Days. If I, days you know, uh, yeah, Patreon, I need like Adobe <laughs> Premiere. Like, let's do this thing. <laughs> I'll walk you through it. No, but if you want some recommendations, uh, I would actually, as far as entertaining goes, <laughs> I would say the perfume Kenzo world, which what's the name of the actress that was in the young girl that was in um, Fosse Verdon who plays Fosse's young girlfriend. Oh. She, she was also in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. She plays the hitchhiker. Yeah. Anyway, she's in that one and it's very unconventional and I like it. It's a lot of, a lot of dancing. Another Michelle Williams joint. That's right. Yes. Yeah. yeah that's weird. Uh, uh, that's Margaret Qualley. Qualley. That sounds right. And then there's a, a an ad where um, Adam Driver turns into a horse. Okay, that one was good. With Burberry and dude, he's looking shredded. Yeah, like he's, he's shredded. Looking, he's looking stacked. Do you think he's trying to make up for that one photo where he had like the high waisted pants when he was <laughs> when he Star was still Wars? doing Star Wars? Yeah, and it was like. <laughs> I think that was just bad costume design. Well, I think he's still making up for that. I mean, I think he was jacked in that scene. He's yeah. never smiled again. He's ripped in Annette as well. Is he? Yeah. Okay, he's he's doing some stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. And then also I would recommend uh, Gucci Bloom, the one with Dakota Johnson. It Not because it's that great of a commercial, but it's just like it's a wonderful world that I want to experience. I'm experiencing the seesaw in real time where <laughs> Josh, you just go, you sigh, you let, you let like the resolution happen, then you pick back up, you sigh. This is great. I'm having a great time. <laughs> Allison's like starting to sweat a little bit. I've been sweating this whole time. I'm like, I'm like anxiously sweating, which is causing a cloud of disgust like disgusting <laughs> stanchiousness in my corner and I don't have any fucking perfume to cover it up I'm just here as like a hairy female representative going like <laughs> this is unacceptable and unattainable I don't have 
ultra thin fun friends in New York City to go to underground fucking raves with. You know what? You do have a good point because I would say that commercial, these kind of commercials, uh, particularly the ones that sort of like live in the fantasy of the of the fragrance, yeah, uh, are not necessarily very inclusive, body positive kind of environments. Like they're they're not like they're not reality. No, they're, God, they're, no. They're not. They're like the fantasy of yourself. These are like the fantasy of like Formula One drivers. That can, oh my God. like you leave F one out of this. <laughs> like this is like the it's it's like the the most elite tier before they start killing people for sport. You know, oh, yeah. like oh yeah. So it just it just seems out of touch, like completely out of touch. Yeah, so. that's why you always see like art house European directors use fragrance commercials as their satire. Mm. There's uh, always send ups of mm-hmm. of this genre. But also there's tons of like really qualified like photographers and upcoming directors that basically have to get that paycheck. <laughs> Commercials make a shit ton of money. Hell yeah, they do. Yeah. I can't get over this idea of you creating this documentary called Fantasy of Fragrance. <laughs> <laughs> where you sit down in front of the camera go, like, break and you're it all super down. serious. Yeah. I mean, I was watching like Dracar Noir like videos from the 80s. So good. Now, does anything top mandem? Um, yes. Yeah. 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 Really? Yeah. yeah. I mean, like Charles Bronson's awesome, but like as a commercial goes, yes. Yeah. How dare you? All right. All right. He throws his shirt to space. He does. He does. <laughs> and in, in the Drakkar Noir ad, this guy uses a bow and arrow to explode a woman's panties, I think. Oh, okay. That's, I didn't realize they kept that same wink and the nod. There's, there's a lot of stuff. Anyway. Uh, that's how I'm doing it. And I'll let you have the, the last word on that, Allison, if you want. I'm upset. <laughs> I'm just upset. I don't I don't I don't want to add anything. <laughs> I am I am Sicilian German heritage. I'm lucky that I work in a spa where I get my own free hair removal services. Mm. Otherwise, Josh would be swallowed by a trifid that is my pubic region. <laughs> Yikes. A trifid or a tribble? Ooh, both. Let's do tribbles. Let's do tribbles. I don't know what this has to do with fragrances, but I don't want to ask. I just like, I'm a real woman. I don't know. (laughs) I think, I don't know. I'm just frustrated. I, I don't like them. I don't. And I'm I'm feeling so emotional. I'm feeling so emotionally charged by it that I'm just like, I don't think I can do this without like screaming. I can clearly tell you're upset. The rosé is not helping. Okay. Oh, okay. So how else are you doing, Allison? Great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm raging great right now. Um, it's been, yeah, I'm doing good. Um, One week. <laughs> <laughs> Sit down. No, I'm good. I had I had enormous amounts of pho today, which is my favorite go-to yep. for like treating myself when I've done something that is hard but beneficial for my health, which means that this morning I went to the dentist and had my teeth cleaned hey. and I <laughs> felt like I deserved a special Allison treat, which mm. is me. I got spring rolls and rare steak pho and I ate it very quickly to the point where someone looked at me, but whatever. Like they judged you? I'm a real woman. Now, are you sure it wasn't because the steak was rare? Like that's That's a pretty... That's some standard that's ass shit. The, the hot, rare. the broth cooks it. When Are you, you get, serious? Yeah, that's yeah. You can get you can get it rare, and then when they put it in the broth, the broth is hot enough that it cooks the meat. 
it's more flavorful that way. So the broth is turning a rare steak into a medium steak in would, real time. I would say it's probably a medium rare, but it's cut so thin that it's it cooks it through. I'm not getting any yes or no confirmation from our other co-hosts. Have you here. ever had a hot pot? I'm really uncomfortable with this idea though it, that it's like cooking while you're like like you go from picking it up to putting it in your face and it's like cooked by the time that well, happens. Well, you have to, no, I mean you have to take a second to like separate the noodles. Yeah, I mean usually when I get pho, like the the handful of times that I've had pho like with you, it comes out like piping hot. It's super like, yeah. You can't even touch it and you got to like wait a minute for it to chill out before you well, can. Well, but this is like the, this is like the whole prep you know, they bring you your basil and they bring you like right. your little your sprigs and your jalapeno and um and, you know, you dump it in there and then you have to take a second with your chopsticks and your soup spoon to nestle and gently unnudge, un- unlock, detangle the rice noodles. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the rat king of noodles that's in your bowl. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because you, you, you can't just like go straight for it because A, it's way too hot. Uh, B, your noodles are in like one like sad clump. They put it, they, like, they like braid them and put them in a bun and like right, shove it right, in right. there. So you have to like, Work your noodles. You have to gently work the noodles. You know, now it makes sense that neither one of us has gotten COVID so far. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. I eat things off the floor constantly. Uh, that's how this house stays clean. Um, anyway, for my movies this week, yes, we did watch, what was it, Meeks? Meeks Cutoff. We did watch Meeks Cutoff, uh, but I took a, I was feeling so ill during our last recording that I called out sick to work and I slept for 16 hours. Mm-hmm. Turns out I wasn't, I was just, my body was like, Hey, you're not listening and we're going to shut it down. Uh, so spent the day on the couch in and out of sleep all day and decided that I was peppy enough that I was going to watch color out of space. So that came out in 2019. It's a Richard Stanley film. He was also quite famous for you dorks out there for 1990s hardware. Fuck yeah, dude. It's yeah. Great movie. That's that was Thanksgiving his, movie. Th- that was our Thanksgiving movie a couple mm-hmm. years ago. What was our first our first Thanksgiving together? That was stunt our movie. rock and hardware. I mean, oh that's my a, God. That's a lineup. Killer. Stunt yeah. rock was amazing. God, that was a good day. Uh, <laughs> God, we're dorks. You're still mad about the colognes, aren't you? I'm I'm worked up and I have to pee and I'm trying to get through this so we can get to our break because I still have got trivia for you guys. I got all kinds of shit. We got a true and false <laughs> game coming up. We want to talk about our cu- fucking Christmas traditions and then I'm I'm just all worked up. I'm hot. I've had two cups of coffee. <laughs> well, let's let's take a break then. Let's take a break. We'll come back to clear our space. Okay. So yeah, going calming myself, stepping back, calming down now that I've used the restroom and I feel less manic. I watched uh, Color Out of Space. Now I had I had held off on this movie because it had such bad reviews, and I and I was disappointed to hear that because it looks so interesting. Yeah, and not even like from like mainstream, but like from some of the people that like we sort of know and trust. were yeah. kind of like bagging on it. Yeah, but I I don't know. I was still curious enough, and so I follow SpectreVision on um, Instagram, and I've been seeing a lot of fan art recently, and I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna do it. Like, I, I want to know, like, if it's bad, it's bad. At least I've seen it. I didn't think it was bad. I thought it was an interesting movie. It's it's a, it's based off of H.P. Lovecraft's book of the same name, uh, Color Out of Space. Basically describing something comes down from space. It is a color that is never seen before um, and cannot be explained. And it's represented in the movie as being this kind of ultraviolet, um, uh, neon, pink, purple, um, insanely bright 
light that starts to emanate through this farmland and basically poisons the water. Mm. Out of a crater. Out of a crater. Giant giant crater. Yeah. And so it's sentient. It starts to change this family, the patriarch of which is Nicolas Cage, who I think did a great job, but I was waiting for him to have like the Nicolas Cage moment. Mm. And it was strange because when he rages out in this movie, it reminded me so much of Vampire's Kiss, mm-hmm. where he gets kind of like condescending and up here, and yeah. ugh, and it and it happened like quite a few times. I'm like, I wonder if that's what he sounds like when he's really drunk and angry at people <laughs> in real life. Like you hear all these stories of him in New Orleans just being a total dick. Mm-hmm. While we were in New Orleans talking to people that live there, yes, yes, I, which tainted. A lot of people had a Nick Cage story and yeah, they weren't great. Almost everyone had a Nick Cage story and they were not good stories. Mm. They were fun to listen to, but yeah, not becoming of Nicolas Cage. His best version is when he's living in his treehouse in Indonesia. Does he have a treehouse? Oh my God. Oh my God. I was, I was like, of course he does. <laughs> of course he does. But it, the truth probably isn't that far <laughs> off, right? I mean, he has a pyramid. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he probably like just has a total meltdown, manic meltdown in the middle of New Orleans, gets, <gasps> then gets ashamed and then yeah, goes, goes to, to his, some, yeah, his igloo and yeah. <laughs> yeah. Goes back to his pyramid grave. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he's the patriarch. He has this overwhelming sense of duty to take care of his family, but because of the poisoning of the water, everyone is starting to be kind of warped in their own way. And it reminded me a lot of annihilation when uh, the shimmer comes down and it starts affecting everyone genetically, starts splicing DNA, uh, things are blending into things. And um, uh, the, I think the monsters were super creative. Oh, it's a monster movie. Kind of. Yeah. It becomes a monster. It's like the thing in a sense where it's like, it's like, uh, sci-fi becomes a monster right. and it because it's DNA splicing and messing with genetics you get these very strangely formed creatures Chimera. like a well like a, like a six-headed llama beast mm-hmm. um, awesome so I six uh, times cooler <laughs> six times fluffier uh, so I I guess I can see where there may have been some weaknesses, but overall, I, I don't think it's deserving of the bad reviews that it has. Do you think it was overhyped? Yeah. Maybe. Brady, you, you've seen this, Brady, right? Full confession. Yeah. Full truth. Okay. I made it halfway through. Okay. Not because the movie is boring, but I got tired. <laughs> <laughs> but also that... This that, is that, what your mid-30s <laughs> look totally. like. Um, but also that highlights maybe to, to, uh, that... I didn't, when I woke up the next day, I wasn't like, you know, I need to finish that movie. I I felt like, and it's always hard, like as somebody who, I have a hard time listening to people's opinion for people who don't finish movies, right? They're like, I hated it. I walked out after 20 minutes, you know, like that. Yeah. So giant asterisk next to to what I'm about to say. But it felt like a Tales from the Crypt episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, And it just wasn't what I wanted. And I think part of it was the post-Mandy world ah, that we live in yeah um where i think the the stakes were raised the bar was raised for I would, agree. I would agree with that i would agree with that but i still i mean you got to meet the movie at its level yeah. and i just not comparing it to anything else i think it i think it was fine mm-hmm. so it didn't blow my socks off but you yeah. know it wasn't it certainly wasn't the worst thing i've ever seen and Josh, you know what? Going back to what you're saying, I think you are right. I think it was overhyped because of the the lane that it was swimming in. 
So I, you know, I think you're right. So it wasn't a bad movie. It just, the expectations were higher or something like that. Yeah. Whatever. I liked it. Um, I I think I gave it a four out of five on Litterbox. It's fun. Cool. Check it out if you want to. It's pretty. And then Cage re-upped the stakes with Pig. I still, we still need to watch Pig. We still need to watch Pig. Yeah, it's on the list. It's like if Kelly Reichardt made a Mandy movie. Oh. Oh. And it's formed in our backyard. <laughs> and by backyard, I mean this asshole. Okay, guys, back on track. Okay. <laughs> um, so it's been a while since I've done a true or false, true or false game with you guys. It's true. So I was false. going to do good. There's so many good ones. I'm about to. I'm. I'm just going to give you weird Christmas traditions. Okay. We've got six six questions, true and false. Okay. All right. Number one. In Wales, it is a custom to go caroling with a dead horse. I'm going to say false. In Wales, part of the United Kingdom, probably the most rebellious country of the UK, caroling with horses. A dead horse. So you're like dragging it. I guess so. True. <laughs> it's true. No. Uh, so the, the logistics. So it's a horse's skull. Uh, okay. So during the, during the holidays <laughs> right. in Wales, the dead horse called Mary Lloyd rises from the grave and goes door to door challenging people to basically a rap battle. So you're speaking my language. <laughs> In practice, basically a group of revelers take a decorated horse's skull and knock around on the doors and they proceed to basically do a rhyme and the people in the home have to do a rhyme back and it keeps going back and forth. Okay, that sounds awesome. Especially (laughs) since it's Welsh. That language is fucking nuts. Yes. Mm. If you've ever listened to people speak Welsh, like a battle rap in Welsh sounds like my version of a feature-length documentary. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, oh boy. Okay. Because like just the, seriously, the planning of 1,200 yeah. pounds of livestock <laughs> yeah. in a cart when you're pushing it uphill. Yeah. Yeah. If you it's, had just said like a skull. It's so funny. You're thinking of a cart. I was literally thinking of just like a rope around a horse's neck. <laughs> just dragging ripping it, it apart it. as like a drag. We were talking about mixed cutoffs. Yeah, we were just talking about mixed cutoffs. So it's desperate times. It's very times. primal. Yeah. Okay. Um... <laughs> True, false, strange tradition number two. Um, The addition of a figure of a man dropping a deuce in your local nativity scene. Wait, hang on a second. A tradition? It's a tradition. Like no qualifier, like a location or anything like that. Uh, I'm not going to give that away right now. I'm going to say true. I'm going to say true as well. I feel like I just gave it away by saying that. (laughs) We just... God damn it, you guys. Stop messing with me. All right. We're competitors. Okay. So a bare bottom figurine externally frozen in the midst of answering the call of nature. He is placed in the corner or the back of a nativity scene and left for onlookers to notice. Mm. Some scholars suspect that the, the, the sculpture is a reminder that God will come at his time, regardless of his followers and if they're ready or not. Where is this This information coming from? Uh, Sounds like a fantasy football. It was Spain. It was uh, Catalonia. Uh, okay. Those Catalans. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Number three. True or false Christmas tradition. Snowfoot. 
the Christmas mantle cap, a Hungarian tradition in which the snowfoot or holab, as it's known, watches you with disapproval from the mantle, but only if you've defiled God and yourself by masturbating that year. Snowfoot by Ferragamo. (laughs) (laughs) Have you defiled yourself? That's true. I'm going to say true. I want to believe in that cat. Wait, wait. I'm trying to think of who's the actor in that commercial. Uh, let's go with Willem Dafoe. Ooh. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. Angry Willem Dafoe. I've seen his dung. That makes sense. Yeah. Oh He's Snowfoot. He's the spirit of Snowfoot. <laughs> God bless. It's true. Uh, it's false. Oh, oh, wait, did you make you, all that up? I made did it you up. make that up? I made it up by looking you at Johnny. You devil. <laughs> he was sleeping so sweetly. All right. And he, then Michal looked me. at me with disapproval. Okay, mm. yes, yeah, Snowfoot, uh, the mantle cat is false. Okay, uh, number four, true or false Christmas traditions. Julbach, the Christmas goat. Prominent in Scandinavian festivities, it is created and then destroyed as part of a Christmas tradition. Created and destroyed. That is true. Well, I I believe it's true. <laughs> Brady? <laughs> it's true. Yes, it's true. It's like a festival, right? Yes. It's like the, there's like a big thing. Yes, they and actually... Then, and then they, they try to keep it... Mm-hmm. Like everyone is trying to burn it. Yes. And like the goal is for the city to like make it survive to yes. the right time, right? Yes, it's, it's... Yeah, so basically the city what? erects a giant goat with it's usually made of of hair trees and twines and things like that and it's wrapped in a big redwood and it's huge i mean it's humongous and the whole thing is that they try to keep it alive while the townsfolk do everything in their power to destroy it and burn it oh i heard of this story Yeah. yeah and uh and it's supposed to be after one of the gods basically he rode on a chariot pulled by two goats and he would eat the goats at night for dinner and the goats would be resurrected in the morning so Christ stories, whatever. Okay. <clears throat> it's like a reverse Prometheus. Yes. <laughs> okay. Prometheus. True or false? <laughs> ah! oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Wait, who's in that one? I'm going to say Bjork. Uh, okay. <laughs> I was going to say Michael Fassbender, but that's too on the nose. Fassbender. <laughs> God damn it. I'm... Okay. So number five, true or false Christmas traditions. St. Marcus Jort. In parts of Austria, <laughs> you just said Jort. Yeah. In parts of Austria, Saint Marcus Jort blesses the children in the small villages with denim. Cuddles. <laughs> I'm glad we couldn't. Even, I'm glad, I'm glad I read that for a while away by just chuckling at the word Jort. To wear under their clothes, to sleep without being truly nude. Oh boy. <laughs> you know, if you said, if you had said, uh, like the Florida Panhandle, I was just gonna say <laughs> Daytona. Exactly. <laughs> I would be like, you know what? <laughs> would have made sense. I'm gonna say false. I think yeah. I think we're being Allisoned right now. Yeah, <laughs> false. It is false. I was so proud of that one. <laughs> Wait, what, read the read the Saints name again. Saint Marcus George. <laughs> You could have you could have hit that one by saying yort or something. No, little, I, I needed it. I needed it to like. I wanted it to tickle your brain of like, okay, but it could be jort. But like, no, also. we immediately <laughs> we like latched on. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Number six. 
Christmas traditions. True, false. Noche de los Rabanos, I think, is how you say it. Or Night of the Radishes. Each year on December 23rd, professional artists, whittlers, and craftspeople <laughs> carve nativity scenes out of radishes. That's, this is, this is bleak. This one's bleak. <laughs> I'm going to say true. I think that's probably true. Because radishes are, are so like hearty. <laughs> like you can carve into them. And also like they're, they grow in all kinds of different climates. Okay. Don't touch your computer, Brady. <laughs> you know how fast he is at Googling things? <laughs> He's so fast. This one's true. Yes, it's true. Uh, Night of the Radishes each year on December 23rd in Oaxaca, Mexico. Mm. Professional oh, artists, God. amateur whittlers transform humble radishes mm. into nativity scenes, alligators, churches, portraits of famous celebrities, and other special creations. They have, great, they have great music there, by the way. Oaxaca. 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 Well, really good job, guys. Uh, that was who fun. won? Wait, but, who won? There has to be a winner and there has to be a loser. What's the prize? Oh. What do I get from winning? <laughs> <laughs> you get to have the crown of creating the list of incestuous movies. And oh, with shit. that, we are going to move on to our feature tonight. Fucking 1989's Elves. An innocent romp in the woods turns into a hellish nightmare when an evil force is accidentally awakened. <laughs> Action International Pictures presents the gruesome holiday shocker. Elves. They're not working for Santa anymore. Their mission to mate with a virgin and conquer the world as a pint-sized master race. I'm saving it for someone special. Dan Haggerty stars as Mike McGavin, an ex-detective working on hard times. First you sin and then you die. She is the most important person on Earth. From her will grow the new order. Santa must expose this unholy force before the elves destroy Christmas. I feel like we have listened to so many trailers and I've never heard one yet that sounded like it kept skipping. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little indicative of the actual feature length. Mm. Uh, yes, here we go. <clears throat> A young woman by the name of Kristen, played by Julie Austin, and her two friends take part in an anti-Christmas magic ritual that goes wrong when Kristen cuts her hand and accidentally spills blood on the forest floor. This sets things in motion as Kristen soon discovers that she has become the focus of an evil Nazi experiment involving her grandfather, her father... Some extremely selective breeding and the summoning of some horny ass elves. <laughs> All in the hopes to mate the elves with the only remaining pure Aryan virgin to create a race of super soldiers, just like Hitler wanted. She and two of her friends become trapped in a department store with an elf, and only Dan Haggerty, as the renegade loose cannon Santa Claus, can save them. And oh yeah, this all has to be happening at the strike of midnight on Christmas Eve or the ritual will not work. Wow. 
And <laughs> now I understand the spirit of Christmas. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Very much wow. Yeah. So that is that is what we've got here. We um I was making fun of Brady quite a bit last week for being the movie incest king. And I wanted to bring that up. It's my letterbox handle. <laughs> I wanted to bring that up multiple times. Hey, if you times. didn't want incest, you shouldn't have invited the king. I, <laughs> I <laughs> There he is. I I wanted to rub it in because I didn't realize that the I had not seen elves, uh, but it looked bananas. And mm-hmm. so I I was like, let's do this. And then I get a text from Brady that's like, Allison makes fun of me for incest, and then we watch elves and uh and I was like, What is he talking about? I was like, Oh, is it this weird scene between Kristen and her younger brother when he's peeping on her in the bathroom? <laughs> that must be what he's talking about. Nope. Her grandfather's her dad. Mm-hmm. That's what you were talking about. I was just talking about the entire movie. It's just <laughs> vibes. <laughs> vibes. That was a good impression of me, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I do feel like that the reveal of the grandpa being her dad is so such a throwaway compared to the little brother watching her shower. Because that's, I mean, that's that's so shocking because it's like you're watching like what you have to perceive is just going to be this like bad Christmas movie. And all of a sudden it's like this little kid peeping on his older sister. He then runs away and then just like says like, fuck you, big tits or whatever. He yeah, says. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, yeah it was so shocking. It's 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 the son of one of the producers. <sighs> and what what cracked me up is like this movie is uh, quite well known for its one liners. And he certainly has one where he's like, you've got big titties and I'm going to tell everybody. And I was like, <laughs> and then they have a tickle fight. Yeah, they're over it instantly. <laughs> and it was very uncomfortable. So, And that's within the first like 10 minutes. Yes. So that kind of incestuous cloud hangs over the entire movie to the point that when the grand reveal happens, I'm like, yeah, so what? I'm over it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's quite shocking. Mm. Uh, well, so, I mean, we didn't we didn't go back to, to talk about real quick if we just run down. Uh, Kristen lives with her younger brother, her mother and her grandfather. Excuse me, it's Kirsten. Oh, Kirsten's. No, it's not. It's Kristen. Is it Kirsten? Uh, I, a, think, I think it's Kirsten. Oh, There's a, yeah, I think. Oh, I got, you know what? My To all the Kirstens that listen, <sighs> my apologies. I'm going to apologize for Allison. No, you should because I wrote it down on my notes wrong. <laughs> I are after I, except before. No. Look, as a Brady Kirsten. who gets misspoken as a Bradley all the time, I understand. Uh, Bradley, can you fax this for me? <sighs> I hate all the names. <laughs> all of them, including mine. Uh, so, so Kirsten um, Kirsten lives with her younger brother, her mom, and her grandfather. And her mom is very uh, curt and, and very cruel to Kirsten. Very cruel to Kirsten. She's a maniac. Yes. Her mother is... <laughs> Her mother, who is not named, is played by Deanna Lund, uh, who I, I just have to say was in a movie called Goldfoot and the Bikini Machine because I want to I wanted to say those words together. Finally. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Deanna. Um, but she plays just this cold hearted mother who it just 
The son is fine. She dotes and loves over the son, but she is just vicious and vile towards Kirsten by like taking away her savings account because she may or may not have run into the forest. Yeah, because she disobeyed something they told her to yes. do. Um, drown her cat. That was fucked up. That was crazy. Yeah. yeah. That was bananas. Drown her cat in the toilet bowl. Um, and then, and then was, well, she did one other thing too that was just absolutely cruel. I don't remember what it is. Um, yeah, I don't remember. Being alive. Yeah. But this movie can, goes places. Yeah. Can you imagine like if you were about to leave the house and your parents like, you can only leave the house if you give me your bank routing number. <sighs> Joke's on you, mom. I don't know my bank routing number. <laughs> <laughs> finger guns, finger guns, finger guns. As you burned your checkbook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Later, bitch. Um, we come to find out why she is so cruel later in this big reveal. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Wait, wait, wait. You were, you were asking the question. We never answered it. What? She slapped her twice. That's right. She just totally slapped the shit out of her and then was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Yes, it was a lot. I don't of, remember that part. Lots of emotional abuse. No, her grandfather slapped the shit out of her. Oh, shit. Well, so fine. we got to take oh, yeah, yeah. The, the grandpa's like, that's for disobeying me. And that's for the lie you're about to tell. Yeah, because that's some old school, like down on the farm kind of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah, feels familiar. Mm. Um, But we find out through a reveal much later in the movie that Deanna Lund was drugged, raped by her father in order to inbreed the most perfect Aryan daughter virgin, which is now Kirsten. Uh, we do also find through the quote, Gramps is a Nazi. <laughs> quotable movie. It's a very quotable movie. Um, <clears throat> that her father, I'm sorry. Well, no, that's right. That her father, grandfather was a, for, is a, is a former Nazi. I thought you were going to say, wait, wait, hang on a second. I, I don't think he's former. I is, think, I think he's still on the team. They're just yeah. doing a great job of hiding. Yeah, yeah. And I but I also think he was trying to sabotage the terrible work that he had done in the past. It seemed oh, like right. he was trying yeah. to redeem himself. Yeah, he was trying to like stop it from happening, but yeah. once it started, yeah. Yeah, it was too late. And then wait, like, wait, wait, like how was he hiding it though? Because if you're if you're an old German man in the eighties yeah. and you have a thick German accent, that mm-hmm. probably means you're first generation who just like got off the boat. And yep. if you're missing your legs, it's probably because some GI threw the potato masher. Yep. Back at you from the trenches. Back in the foxhole. So how is he hiding that? Well, I would say he's hiding the Nazi part because there's a difference between being just a German and actively being like a member of like, you know, the SS or the Gestapo or maybe like a secret Nazi occult unit that's designing like a super weapon. So you're you're playing the numbers. I get it. All right. Well, there were like, you know, in addition to like the, the Jewish Nazi hunters after the war, there were also like the FBI and American uh, like police and intelligence agencies that were actively hunting for um, basically prosecutable oh, yeah. Nazis that had like done real shit. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, and when you say prosecute, you mean put in charge of NASA? <laughs> if they're if, yes. if they're like twenty two years old and they're really good with rockets, yeah. you know, maybe you just gotta paperclip them and put yeah. them in the, a different room. Are you good at math? Send us to space. <laughs> At least in front of the Ruskies. Uh, <laughs> Just showing off to the Russians. <laughs> Fuck you guys. 
the very first scene is where the girls go out in the woods to like have like sort of a party, but also a ceremony. And then like, hey, I did this drawing of like this like actually like really descriptive, wonderful, like pinup naked woman with what obviously look like swastikas on her boobs. <laughs> but the swastikas aren't complete yet. Yeah. And I forget what she says to her friends to like make this normal. Oh, no, she says she's like, I thought of these art deco boobs. Aren't they cool? Yeah. Yeah, because that's how teenage girls talk to each other. Yes. And then they cut their, she cuts her hand and then bleeds on the ground. And then they all just like give up and walk away. Yes. Well, well immediately afterwards, the earth gives birth to <laughs> what I'd have to describe is probably the most ill proportioned elf <laughs> ever. Well, we always thought that point was like a gooey hand. <laughs> We're yes. skipping over so much. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> but when the, that first scene happened, I was like, oh, Oh, no one can act. Uh-uh. Like there's no actors in the room. And like, this is all like their first day. Mm-hmm. Like this is going to be amazing. Yes. And it was. It was. I'm, I'm, I'm stuck on Josh saying it was a perfect drawing because, <laughs> because <laughs> the boobs were circles and it was well, like, this, this was the 80s. Connect the dots swastikas where it's like half the swastika was cut out and you just got to fill in the blanks uh-huh. later in the movie. Yeah. Like the back of a cereal box. Yeah, it came yeah. to me in a dream. A I version liked, of anti-Christmas. I liked how swollen and pregnant the boobs were drawn. It was the 80s. We just talked about bikini car wash. We did. It, it, this it was is, a different time. Nothing I need, looked I need as to, good as this drawing, but I'll tell you what. <laughs> so I guess I agree with you. It's perfect. I need to emphasize that. <laughs> That's the perfect woman. <laughs> Circular she, boobs. She has, she has a goblet in one hand and a crystal in the other. <laughs> An art deco boobs. She lives in Southeast Portland. (laughs) (laughs) Elves takes a very strange twist and turns. Lots of 80s cliches. We have we have the the gaggle of gals that are going to meet their boyfriends in the mall slash department store to have a a sexy sex party is what the kids are calling it these days. But meanwhile, on a side story, we also have the. I guess second mall Santa that shows up played by Dan Haggerty, who is most famous for playing uh, Grizzly Adams in the 1974 film, which later became a television show called the life and times of Grizzly Adams. Just a beefcake of a dude who oh, yeah. is chain, like chain smoking. He, I, I think he's smoking in every single scene mm-hmm. and I'm not, I'm not even trying to make a joke there. Like there's oh. a scene where he's brushing his teeth and smoking. Yeah. It's an, it's, it's an intentional gag that keeps going because he has the carton of camels at the beginning in the cafeteria of a department store, which Mm -hmm. if you live in Colorado Springs where this is filmed and you're in a department store, is there really a cafeteria? That's like big city living. It was the food court, you know, whatever. It's like the the food court, the snack shack in the mall. Colorado Springs was getting too big for its britches. Get out of here, Colorado Springs. Yeah. You're drunk. Yep. Um, A pack a day keeps the lungs nice and gray. mm, It's true. Uh, so Dan Haggerty down on his luck, uh, is through some subtleties that we find out is basically has been kicked off. He was a former detective kicked off the force. He is a recovering alcoholic. He also just got an eviction notice for the little tiny Airstream trailer that he was living in. So now, uh, he is sneakily living in the basically maintenance room of the department store Mm -hmm. and, on this same evening, he puts tape on the back door in, in order to get in and out. Dude, the we're girls, skipping over so much. I don't know. Are we? 
presents I'm trying to get. He's in the back room after a dude gets fucking I murdered. Gonna, I said oh, he's the right. second mall Santa. I was going to get to that. But he's in a room with a fucking tape. I anyway. was going to get to that. <laughs> Keep going. I'm sorry. <laughs> Keep going. But yes, he is. He is sleeping in the storage room, locking off, taping off the back door. That same night, the girls are going to tape off the back door to get in and out to have sex with their boyfriends in the department store because I don't know because the forest was too good. I don't know. So yes, Brady. (laughs) Dan Haggerty is mall Santa number two Mm. because mall Santa number one, also known as dead Santa Mm. is a big stinking pervert. It gets very rapey, sexually harassing. He starts feeling her up, puts his hand up her skirt tells her that Santa wants oral. She gets Santa fired. And then her horny elf gremlin to protect Kirsten, because that elf wants to get in that deflower, that power um, kills mall Santa. Number one chops off his balls, Uh huh. stabs him in the nuts. Like repeatedly. It's awesome. The sound design is almost as good as Meek's cutoff. Almost. 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 They had one microphone. (laughs) (laughs) Just someone just stabbing the head of lettuce. Dan Haggerty, Mall Santa number two, down on his luck, sleeps in the freshly murder room of Dead Santa one. It's so good. It's so good because it's like this movie's moving so fast in some ways and so slow in others. Yes. Um, And that's one of those where they the dead Santa gets killed and then the detectives are investigating the room and they like much ado about like the room and, and taping it off. And also just like cuts and he's living in the room. You're like, wait, what? Yeah. What's, go- what's going on? I thought this was the crime scene. And then like it, it cuts and it's like a uh, further away shot. And yeah, you see the tape uh, of the, of the body and you're like, okay, this is, this is meant to be fun. I love that Dan yeah. Haggerty just like talks to the tape outline of dead Santa one. Just like, oh, hard on your luck, brother. And then like sees the symbol carved in the it looks cement. so familiar. Oh, yeah. That's a cigarette. What is this? Yeah. If anybody could play a down on his luck Santa Claus also investigating strange murder of a Nazi <laughs> elf to bring about the the Antichrist, I think Dan Haggerty's it. Like he's he's kind of checking off all the boxes. Like I don't. I don't not believe him. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I agree. Like, or, ordinarily like Santa Claus would be like too nice and fluffy to like pull off the detective part. Right. But most like detective type actors couldn't be Santa Claus either. Right. He, he was so, he was so charming and soft. Like a lot of, he's, he was very empathetic. Like a lot of the scenes where he's in the, uh, uh, food court with Kirsten were improv. Like that whole thing about him being like, Oh yeah, my dog died. So I understand about your cat. Like, <laughs> it's not the best improv, but Dan Haggerty improved, and it was okay. <laughs> Five stars. <laughs> yeah, it was it was charming, but also he's super. I don't know. He's got like kind of a down on his luck, real vibe. Like it seems like a real part of his life. It's like wow, this guy's really seen some shit. Because mm-hmm. compare and contrast him to like somebody like Kurt Russell, who you know has kind of a similar vibe when he was in the thing. He, Kurt Russell's way too charismatic. Yeah. And mm-hmm. if you were to try to have like, if you were to try to have like a cigarette and do a similar thing and be like, eh, I don't believe you. You're being like way too like winky at the camera. Yeah. Whereas Dan Haggerty, it's like 
no, this dude's like probably seen at least three people get killed <laughs> in front of him in his life. So, um, yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I think he was cast well yeah. for the down and out yeah. second Santa. And then he's like doggedly going, like investigating. <laughs> like we're going to get in the, in the Chrysler. We're going to go to the university right now to talk to this like zany professor who has all the answers. Yes. Yes. That now, guy did one movie. It was elves. <laughs> <laughs> the first professor or the, the, fir- one of the, the first professor. The okay. Yeah. Not the, the interrupting things or Christmas dinner. Oh, the guy. guy, the guy with the fake, the fake, uh, belly. Yeah. Yeah. And like the pipe and the glasses. Yeah. That guy. It's just, now I want to, I want to emphasize that if anyone is thinking, wow, this is a really bizarre screenplay. Yes. <laughs> now, when I say, when I say yes, I also want to say that there's a weird amount of creepy truth to this only in the sense, and for those that don't know, is that Hitler and the Nazi party were wildly, wildly, wildly involved in the occult. And they... At, at the elite level. At the elite level. And, the, and, right. and so they were doing all kinds of rituals or strange secret society things uh, in order to basically propel their success yeah. And um, so I know this is bizarre, but the narrative to create or crossbreed perfect Aryan virgin women with Christmas elves, in my mind, mm-hmm. isn't like a like I feel like I could read that in a history book about Hitler and be like, oh, yeah. So <laughs> if, totally. if they had elves like they would have done that, I, they would have tried. I yeah. feel like yeah if you could if you could eviscerate an elf and then put the ashes into a crystal and freeze the crystal okay you got to got to freeze your crystals ladies you got to freeze your crystals ladies um you would, <laughs> you'd have the ultimate weapon I mean I played Wolfenstein 3D the 1992 PC game where Hitler is the boss with mecha arms so I know that from he, my childhood what is a mecha arm is that like just like gun arms like robot oh, robot God. arms Sweet so Jesus. I learned at a very young age, anything's possible with the Nazis. Truly, mm. truly. They definitely had advanced technology for the time. And then we stole. Oh my their god! Technology to go to space. I'll be honest with you. Everything that I know about the Nazis and the occult was taught to me by an archaeologist with a bullwhip and zero disregard for proper artifact handling. <laughs> He goes by the name of Indiana Jones. Maybe you've heard of him. Uh, but I don't really know a lot about the Nazis and their occult practices. I've heard of the Fool Society, and I've heard of a subset of the Fool Society called the Vril Society, which is like some pseudoscience idea that basically is like a German version of chi, like life force. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. And as far as like, uh, you mentioned this other term, like the airy, aerial whatever I Ariosophy. that's it right so the idea of like a another another is it wait is it a religion or is it like a pseudoscience around Both. sort of Aryan this goes back to like our alchemy double feature where mm-hmm. we talked about about the a boot that was weird about the kind of handed down like um, legends from generation to generation mm-hmm. country to country or region to region 
And by the time it got to Germany in the late 1800s, early 1900s, there was this permutation of like science mixed with spirituality that people mm. were smashing together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so like the Nazis were like the ultimate samplers, the ultimate DJs of oh. the <laughs> 20s and 30s, where they were just taking everything that they could off the shelf. And, and that was one of the things because they saw it, as Allison said, as like a, a way of like keeping power because these things that are speaking to uh, society are powerful. So they're like, yeah, we'll just take that. There's this whole uh, theory that they somehow got the, I think it's called the spear of destiny. I need to look that up. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's, it's the spear that pierced Christ. Yep. And so it was thought for a long time that they had that. And that's why they were as, I don't want to say successful. That's how they became as powerful as they did for a time. And then it was thought that that was taken away by uh, the U.S. And then the, the basically that flipped. And that's when the U.S. got extra prop, prosperous. Um, so that's a whole... So does that mean it's in China now? What's going on? It might be in Russia. <laughs> it's crypto now. Oh, God. Ooh. It exists. It's an NFT. Oh, shit. <laughs> Nazi freaking tool. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Org. I don't understand how NFTs work. Got <laughs> ETH or TEZ. It's all right. We'll, we'll talk about crypto domains we later. We're going to have to edit this so much. No. <laughs> solid, solid six dive. This is good. ETH. We got it. Nazis or Hitler got a hold of the spear. And then at some point it was stolen by the allied troops. Or yeah. Indiana Jones. Yeah. There you go. I, Brought it back to where it should be. Just kidding. I In a museum. I, I'm not well researched on this, but I don't get the sense that he truly believed this. I think he believed in it enough to uh, be curious about it because like Indiana Jones aside, like he did put real resources in play to try and recover some of these artifacts and also to have uh, people credentialed investigators like look into the uh, capability of some of this occult stuff to make it real, basically. But don't you think that he surrounded himself with people who truly believed it? And then he's just like, yeah, you go off and figure that out. And he definitely like he definitely had some people, especially for those that were involved in the in Thule society that were very, very, very into the ritual magic of it. I mean, they took it deadly seriously. And I think that Hitler probably had an insane amount of charisma and was speaking to these a lot of frustrated, dejected Germans of that time, Trump, that got them fucking riled up and got this patriotism and ideology just just thick in the bones. And I think I think he I think he was a master manipulator. And I think it was so easy for him to see how he could press into the vulnerabilities of a nation. Right. Especially where the nation was after World War One, that, that propelled this sickening hatred into the masses, and right. then on top of that, steal symbols from cultures all over the world to to co-op their meaning. Yeah, to like co-op their meaning, but that, also symbols are powerful. Symbols right. are so powerful, and I think that's what I was trying to refer to um, is the fact that he can just like pick and choose, or more importantly, like a. Uh, psychopathic or sociopathic CEO is you surround yourself with people smarter than you in a particular field and you just create this spectrum of topics yes, so that you cover all of your bases 
So if anyone questions any part of it, you can point to somebody in your party that's like 100%. got you covered. A hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Because like um, Josh brought up the areas. Ariosophy, which was Carl Maria Willigut, who was this rune magician that um, Himmler picked him up as like his right hand person, right? So Himmler created the SS, mm-hmm. brought this like rune magician, alchemist type of person in to to articulate all these different uh, symbols and stories. You had um, I don't know if I'm sure you're aware of this the the guy Eric Jan Hanyasen, the séance guy. Yeah, they also mm-hmm. had Madame. Le- Madame Blavatsky. Yes, you, you brought her up before. Yeah. What was her story again? Madame Blavatsky was a spiritualist yeah. who uh, was <laughs> kind of shunned and accepted everywhere she went. And I think she actually created Thule. I'm not, I don't quite remember. Okay. But um, she had her own mystic practice that was basically funded by these people who were desperate to learn her secrets. But she also was a master manipulator. Right. Now, she did have very strong premonitions that did curiously come true quite a bit. So she was taken on to world leaders as an advisor and she definitely worked with the Nazi party. Yeah. So I'm curious what her relationship was to Hanyasen because he was like a glorified German street preacher who also had kind of like a newspaper or something. And he, he was helping Hitler in the twenties with like his, public speaking and teaching him how to like gather a crowd and he was, he was brought oh. in. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I, I, you know, I don't know. Cause I don't, I don't, I haven't read anything of their two of them interacting in it, but it's like, it certainly could be the case. I mean, I think they were certainly crossing paths at that time. So I think the the kind of point that the movie 1989's Elves <laughs> is kind of bringing about is that the idea that the Nazis would combine some of these like spiritual and occult ideas, but also with like the local Germanic folklore and like the different characters and creatures that were sort of known uh, or known to the people, the Volk of, you know, thousands of years in that region. Yes. So there was like trying to tie like an, an old with the new and then sort of spin it all into one thing under like the Nazi umbrella of then also, I guess producing super soldiers or like bringing about the well, Antichrist. So I'm confused because there was a point where like her, so her father, grandfather was talking to these um, occultist Nazis that show like these three guys that show up and they're like, it's happening. And, and, mm-hmm. and he's like, no, you know, but we were going to breed these, elves and have these master soldiers that were immune to they could do magic and they were immune to other things but then at one point he says bringing about the antichrist yes yeah, and when, now when i don't know yeah. yeah exactly so i haven't found like a definitive moment either on the internet where i've read if it was defined as uh like a a masterful breed of soldiers like orcs from lord of the rings that can do magic uh-huh yes or continue 
if it was the Antichrist. Yeah, we'll have to just wait for the Blu-ray. I, if Jeffrey is still alive, let us know if he's passed. He's rolling in his grave because we're taking this movie incredibly seriously. Listen, if we're going to make this a new Christmas classic, we have we have to present the case to the people to deep dive in a very shallow pool. Yes. <laughs> now you said either or, but couldn't it be both? Couldn't it be an Antichrist super soldier situation? Isn't there one like, Antichrist? Like the like the musical, the Prince of Darkness, Antichrist <laughs> super soldier. <laughs> No, no. In, Je- in Jeff's world, in in the Mandel Mandelian world, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, clearly his logic is that there can be mul- multiple antichrists, antichristian. I, so, th- it was, but this is why the movies. This is <laughs> this is where the movie has got some plot holes. It goes places, guys. This movie goes places. Wait, what are the plot holes? Well, are we giving birth to the antichrist, or are we giving birth to a new species that is uh, like an Elfular, like <laughs> Liv Tyler, you know, super soldier. Both? <laughs> but three feet tall. Two. <laughs> One. Oh, shit. I just remember our previous conversation. The answer's in front of us. Grimes. Totally. Oh. It came true. That's the fetus. 1989. I bet you the timing works out too. Oh, God. It's Grimes. Oh, God. What does her child's name mean then? X, in X, X, X-A-E-12, whatever the... In German? In runes? Brady. <laughs> We're through the looking glass here, man. You gotta turn off your phone. <laughs> it's going off. Hey, Siri, turn off. You can do that? There's so many things she about says, my phone that I don't know. She, she won't let me. Or he won't let me, excuse hey. me. The attractive Irishman named Michael Fassbender on my phone. The first third of the movie, when the girls are like setting up the makeout party at the department store, I thought we were going to get kind of like trapped in like this like chopping mall loop. Where we're like, we're never yeah. going to leave the department right. store. Right, right, right. Yeah. And I thought, all right, well, whatever happens, it's all going to go down here. And like, we're going to be in this, this mall for like the next hour. Uh, but no, like both her friends are viciously murdered. <laughs> like, and not even moments. by the troll. Oh, wait, no, one of them is One is, troll, one yeah. isn't. One is just like executed like hardcore in the elevator. Yes. In like some really bad underwear. Right away. <laughs> in like in like some if you were watching like a Prince music video from like the late 80s, she would be a backup dancer and she was annihilated. Yeah. Like the Nazis got her. The Nazis got her. The knockoff Jean-Claude Van Damme enemies with greasy ponytails. Got yeah, her. that guy yeah. was super tall. That guy was a big guy. Him? Yeah, he was huge. Were there two of them? There were, yeah. There were three. Two of them had ponytails. And two of them were tall. One is like... One was real tall. Extra tall. <laughs> <laughs> you could play for the Knicks. Yeah, he was huge. Uh, I think one of the boyfriends is like clobbered over the head so the elf can get inside the building. Mm-hmm. And then, which sets off the alarm. The Nazis run in. The Nazis shoot her lingerie friend. She dies. Other friend who's very passive about her virginity, Yeah, uh, is murdered by the elf. I totally forgot about that. But why does the elf murder her? Maybe this is one of those plot holes you're talking about. Because like any abusive boyfriend, he's trying to isolate his focus, the, the, yes. the lady of his focus. That seemed pretty clear to me. No oh. plot holes here. Okay, so yeah, you're not allowed to not. have any friends. No. No. You're only allowed to have elf love. Elf yeah. love and free city parking. Mm. <laughs> Everywhere. I was disturbed by the idea that they all looked at the different demo tents and were like, 
I get that one. You get that one. You get that one. Like if I were in high school or early college, I think they're in high school. Yeah. I would not want to have sex next to my friends in a tent next to my other friends in a city dwelling, like closed building. I just I, performance anxiety and all that. It, it you know did what I mean? seem strange. Yeah. Yeah. But sisterhood and friendship. And to Allison's point about her just being cavalier, her friend being cavalier about her virginity, she, there was just this random weird throwaway of like, oh, it was, it's just easier to deal with it because it's like pushing back and not like saying anything. It I, was it was a really, I, I, I mean, you can, this movie was written by men. Yeah. But there is, there's a moment where Chris, uh, Kirsten is talking to her friend and they are talking about uh, basically giving over their virginity to these guys that are coming to meet them at the mall. <laughs> and her friend in the effect says, well, I don't know. I don't want to cause a fuss. I'll just go along with it because I don't want it to be weird. Yeah. And Kirsten's like, nah, yeah. just say no if you don't want to do it. And her friend's like, man, I don't know. I'd just rather just go along for the ride. Because conflict is harder. Because con- Yes, because conflict is awkward and harder. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> Johnny agrees. Buddy. Tell him. Johnny. Yeah, that was a extraordinarily poignant I know. scene. That's that, a total throwaway. Yeah, it was yeah. Like completely, completely. You're like, well, so it's, anyway. It's not like there's any kind of like moral substance in this movie. Right. There's none whatsoever. It's written by a bunch of fucking idiots who are like, you know what would be fucking really cool? What if we just like had this alien just fucking, uh, no, make it an elf. Just make it an elf. Like, So it was like a throwaway, which implies that they like were trying to be funny. You think so? Yeah, bro. <laughs> uh, I don't know how I feel about any of that. It, although uh, I am thinking now about how angry her mom is the entire time until her demise in the bathtub. That was a good death. Um, I, I can't think of the name to describe the, the look on the elf's face at the edge of the bathtub <laughs> with mouth agape and eyes wide open. Like, I don't know if he's excited, if he's <laughs> fascinated. I'm not sure what to describe. And also, like, the use of a puppet as opposed to, like, a, a guy in a rubber suit, I think it was a bad decision. Well, I don't know, because, so, the elf <laughs> is so poorly proportioned. Uh, so, when you when you see the elf, and it's only a single elf, it's not elves, uh, the elf... Oh, sick burn. Uh, the elf, from the top up, you only ever get, like, the shoulders up, or you only get the knees and down. And or the a knees, hand. Or a hand. A greasy hand. Yes. And the knees the knees down imply that this creature can't be more than two and a half, three feet tall. But the top, when you see it, it's like, this could be Brady in a suit. I'm not sure. So. <laughs> I would be honored to play a Nazi elf. <laughs> so, so it's like, but I didn't hate it. Like, but it, I also laughed a lot. Oh, yeah. Like, they're. A, a lot of the kill scenes because the elf can't close its mouth. Right. But its eyes can kind of roll around. It has like little RC like motorized. Yeah. Did it really? Yeah. The, like, I just thought it was like a molded thing that just like was inanimate that didn't do anything. I think that there were some animatronics. I don't know why they chose to keep the mouth agape the entire time, but it looks like the elf is seeing something super cool every single time it's like in the, the frame. First time. Yeah, yeah, like, oh! <laughs> <laughs> like, you can't even, like, form excitement yet. Behind the scenes photo. Oh, God. That's what? Some, where did you find This is uh, on Dread Central. They interviewed Vince, um, let's see, 
they interviewed Vince Guastini, who was the makeups individual oh or special God. effects individual. That's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. He's like a, do you guys know the, the, the meme of the, sh- like the super yoked Shiba Inu? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's what the elf looks like. Like it's like tiny, oh, tiny yeah. bitty legs, but like big shoulders Absolutely. and a six pack. Can't stick, can't skip leg day. No. And it looks surprised all the time. To yeah. Josh's point, sitting at the end, <laughs> it's the one that cooked them. Yeah, it cooked the mom uh, in the bathtub. And yet when you cut to the elf doing the deed, it's acting like it just like stumbled into it. Like uh, <laughs> Counter Reeves in Bill and Ted or something. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Aloof. Yes. Stoned. Yes. yes. And that's its Stoned romance. Elf. That's its romance face, too. So, uh <laughs> romance face. Every time the elf, you either get like the shot of the back of the head and it's got this like weird kind of sparse old man hair that goes down its <sighs> its its head and back and then it, it just like pops up and it's kind of shaking also every time it's in a frame so it's going like ah, like like the whole it's I don't know what was going on. We've had two movies in a row with old man pube hair <laughs> just like draped on oh, the yeah. head or the nine. body. Yes. Yeah, Caliber 9 that was the German I don't know why he didn't just shave that shit. Because he still got it. <laughs> Not really. Not really. But he still got it. Man. That was like, what was that show like? The Medicine Woman show from the 1990s? Dr. Dr. Quinn. Quinn. Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman. Mm-hmm. When she goes and she's going to remove that old lady's single tooth. And she like smears sugar onto it to help with the pain. And the old lady's like, no, it's my only tooth. And she's like, listen, it's got to go because it's really disgusting. And she took it out. And I'm just saying that sometimes, even if it's there, <laughs> thank you, you for have to, on this journey. <laughs> you have to get to a place where you need to let it go. Mm. It's one of those. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Dr. Quinn. <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Quinn. Well, I say that's that- my only tooth. <laughs> Is that what ger- ger- old German men who used to be Nazis? Vaguely. Sorry, Josh. They're not all in the SS. They were closeted Nazis. They were all saying that about their hair. They didn't want their hair shaped because that's my only hair. It's my only hair. <laughs> It's a beautiful language. So subtle. So lovely. Anyway, so the elf. Uh-huh. Uh, I happen. I You know what? Meet a movie where it's at. I like the design. I think it's strange that the mouth can't close. And I am aware. And I don't know if you guys thought about this, but they made the elf look like old propaganda posters. Uh, I, I see that. I see that. Um, but he could also be kind of like a goblin. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, it's kind. Of, those are all kind of the same shapes. Oh, propaganda like anti other race, yes. other nationality. Yes, yes. got it. Uh, it the, the elf. Yes, it could I look like a traditional goblin, but they, to me, they also looked curiously like some of the old propaganda posters that were circulated or pamphlets circulated around at that time that were absolutely fucking vile. Mm. So. I don't know. So I, but I, I'm not sure if that's just me looking into it too much or, or if that was an actual like choice. Well, you could could flip the coin on the other side and say that the, the propaganda posters were basically trying to make people look monstrous. No, that's exactly what it was. And, and the, the, the monster is, I don't know. No, no, that's exactly, yeah, they, they, they vilified and characterized, uh, Jewish people to look like 
monsters in these propaganda pamphlets that they used to hand out. And I feel like the elves, like the, the design of the elf mimics the propaganda mm-hmm. flyers or pamphlets. So that was something that I was thinking about too. Okay. Like, but I, but I also, it doesn't make sense as far as the... Well, the elf did have blue eyes. <laughs> Brilliant blue eyes. Like Ray Liotta blue eyes. <laughs> like crystal blue waters. <laughs> like the placid lakes of Bavaria. <sighs> Bavaria by Calvin Klein. Oh my <laughs> so I've known about this movie. <laughs> I've known about this movie for two or three years. And this is the first time that I thought about the title of the movie being plural. And there's actually only one elf. I'm but, pretty upset. About but this supports the super soldier hypothesis instead of yes. the Antichrist hypothesis, because that means there would have been more elves. Right. Which, well, But it but, also would have implied that there would have been more Aryan virgins. And apparently she was the last one. Maybe she would have had like a brood. Yes. You've seen Lord of the Rings. They come out of the ooze. They come out of the muck. They just come out of the like the swampy underground. Just say, the, just say vagina, Brady. <laughs> Jesus Christ. The underground cess. <laughs> so what was the crystal about? <laughs> uh, yeah, there because is. There is kind of like a, like to use some occulty things, like there is like a baphometic quality to her holding a chalice in one hand and the crystal on the other forming like a, a vagina and a penis yeah. in either hand, yeah. mm-hmm. symbolically. Uh, but they actually have a crystal, like the, the fake Gestapo guys show up and hand Gramps, Nazi Gramps, um, like the other chunk of the crystal <laughs> to complete whatever that is. For whatever reason, I thought it may have been like a, a calcified version, if this is even possible, of the elf blood. And okay. like, but it was like an elf stone. A ruby? Yes. I mean, it's a big ass ruby. I'm going to say the but, rubies are calcified elves blood from now on. <laughs> and everyone's going to look at me Mary, like I'm a crazy person. Merry fucking Christmas. Yeah. Uh, but there's also... But you have no- to freeze your crystals. <laughs> yes. And yes. if the elf blood was frozen... Ladies, freeze your crystals, okay? Uh, but there is a moment when grandfather, gran- uh, grandfather, father is doing like a spell over the ruby. Yeah. And he drops a crucifix necklace into it. Right. Uh, um, this is while it's splayed over it's the like, top of a satin. Yes, but it looks satin. like it looks like it's like um, liquid at this point, and he's like, "Oh yeah, yeah." Right? It oozes into the yeah, yeah. Which I don't know. Be- oh, unless he unless he blessed the ruby with the crucifix necklace, and then mm, problem solved, guys. No plot holes. Loophole. Plot Airtight. hole. Airtight. Sealed up. <laughs> Nerds, you're not watching this movie as hard as we are. There's a car bomb. (laughs) (laughs) Santa Claus gets in his Chrysler and discovers that there's a car bomb in there with him. And barrel rolls out before it explodes. (laughs) (laughs) Like one does. And you're not sure if he's dead because the car aflame rolls into frame. And you're like, oh no, is he dead? Of course, we know he's not dead. But the movie's trying to say like, Maybe he, he maybe he be dead. Yeah, and it was no. like a, it was like a good car explosion. It right. exploded it was a, twice. It was, it was a great and it had like little like little rains and droplets of fire. It was it was a good one. Solid. Yeah. Meanwhile, somebody's house is in the background. They're just like doing it in a field in a suburb. <laughs> well, I was I was no you know no pun intended, but I was blown away. And then Josh was like, ah, production value. Like, <laughs> like there it is, there it is. 
That's why the puppet's so mediocre. They spin it on this scene. Anytime on screen there is an electric turkey carver that shows up, I'm convinced it's going in human flesh. It's like the moment I see it, it's like, there it is. It's the Chekhov's gun of... It is the Chekhov's gun of uh, holiday dinners. <laughs> I'm upset that we have decided to retire the electric carving knife as, a, as like a culture. Mm. I f- Be the change you want to see in the world, Allison. I would like an electric carver. I would like an electric carver for Christmas, please, fans. (laughs) (laughs) That would be pretty dope. That would be awesome. I don't have enough of an occasion to use one. I mean, no, it's specifically for Christmas. Oh, I can't. No, you can only use it. Even if I grilled them in the backyard and I had a nice, like, Mm -mm. no, rump roast. No, it's like when you have fine china for Christmas, like when you have regular stuff and then you got like the fine shit and I'm you just bring thinking it- about how like how fine I could slice that ham yeah that and also like the cord is always covered in shit <laughs> like I've even if it comes straight new out of the box it's covered in like glaze yeah gravy and fat uh-huh. and potatoes mm-hmm. yeah because you don't want your relatives who come over from out of town to think you never use the thing no, no, no. You just wipe bacon grease on it and put it away. It's like distressed jeans. Yeah. <laughs> you get brand new. Yeah. The sheen of experience. Absolutely. By Paco Rabanne. <laughs> <laughs> Josh is in deep. Josh is so deep. We lost him. We lost, we lost him. We keep talking about each of us being an anchor for the other. So if we get lost, you can throw a rope. I think it's Josh's turn. I'm... Abort! <laughs> I'm here for you. <laughs> Keep going. Okay. <laughs> so Dan Haggerty had kind of a weird career. He started out as a uh, like a bodybuilder guy on a um, one of those Bikini Beach kind of movies called Muscle Beach back in like the early 60s. I don't know if it was like Annette Funicello or any of those folks, but that's how he got his start. And then pretty quickly, he got into stunt work uh, and then got into biker films. So he did a bunch of biker movies. Yes. Muscle Beach Party. There you go. Was Frankie Avalon and Annette Funicello. Oh, there you go. Okay. Was he in that one? Yes, he was. Amazing. What is happening? Connections. He had a bit part in Easy Rider. He was in a bunch of uh, Hell's Angels knockoff films called Angels Die Hard, Bury Me an Angel, um, some of the sort of gross out sleazeball biker movies. One's called Chrome and Hot Leather. Oh my God. Another one's called Sleazy Rider. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder Soft if that's core? I wonder if that's a porno. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh Pink Angels. Yeah. Oh. Sleazy Rider seems like the movie where it's a softcore, but he didn't agree to it. So he's the guy like the cameo that comes in the background is like, hey you guys, what are you doing here? Get off my girl. <laughs> yeah. He throws he throws some skinny dude across the screen. Yeah. And that's his one scene and then he's gone. Smoking a carton of camel lights. Yeah. And I'm not sure how he got involved with uh, Grizzly Adams, but that's mostly what he's known for. He's he's known as Grizzly Adams. Um, but yeah, that was a, a huge hit for the studio that produced it. They made it for not very much money at all. I want to say like 
$140,000. And then it grossed because of some very clever marketing. And apparently they were just meeting the audience right where they needed to be. Uh, it grossed $45 million at the box office. Holy so smokes. in 1974 money, that was a huge deal. Who did I get him confused with? Jeremiah Johnson, which is not not like the worst. I mean, like Jeremiah Johnson is Robert Redford doing like a like a woodsy, like outdoorsy, like frontiersman movie, which is actually a great movie, by the way. Is Fever's, it a white man with a beard? Yeah. Yes. 1970s. It is a white man yeah. with a beard. Wearing, 1970s. Wearing buckskin. But, okay. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm okay. I'm not, no, I'm, not ma- I'm not mad at myself. You're safe. I know. So the success of Grizzly Adams, uh, he, you know Grizzly Adams, right? Yes. So it's it's a guy and he's hiding on a mountain. He has a pet bear. Or yes. Like, or I should say he has a friend bear. <laughs> <laughs> Not a pet. A friend. And he has some other like mountainy <laughs> friends and they're basically like helping hitchhikers and campers randomly having adventures, misadventures on the mountain. That was contemporary. In, in the, yeah, in the times of which it's happening. Yeah. 70s, right? Yeah, it was seventy four. I'm just I'm thinking about the oh, TV show. Oh, for like when it when it when it was set. I don't remember. We don't know a lot about Grizzly. Adams. They weren't actually doing a lot of camping and hiking in the 1860s. That's true. So I'm thinking it's Good contemporary. Guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then he kind of did that for a while. A bunch of Grizzly Adams and Grizzly Adams sequels and Grizzly Adams this and Grizzly Adams that for time. What's it was up? it was supposed to be set in the 1850s. I'll be damned. Cut okay. Down. Thank you for the correction. Oh, no, of course. Uh, but then his career pivoted again and he did like a lot of slasher movies. Like, <laughs> he went from Grizzly Adams to slashers. I've never heard of any of these. The Chilling, Mind Trap, Night Wars. Mm. Never heard of any of them. I have Night Wars at night. Oh my God. When you've eaten all the pho. <laughs> I've eaten pho and pizza and maybe had a beer or two and it's three in the morning and I go to sleep. Those are my Night Wars. Oh, I thought, oh, yours are physical. Okay. Mine are the demons inside. Oh, no. Okay. Mine are like pseudo sleepwalking and having to get up multiple times because mm. I'm going to poop your pants. Mm. Night Wars. <laughs> Night Wars. Mind trap. Um, I, guess <laughs> um, I, I guess that career makes sense to me to go from muscle stuff to stunts to bikers to slashers. That'll, or is there, with a brief interlude of being a family friendly outdoorsman that's friends with mm. the bear. Yeah. He seems like a decent dude and he was cast well, but he is like the like prized winning horse of the 1970s. Like this is what <laughs> this is what all the dudes who were maybe burnout from all the acid were thinking they looked like and thinking they wanted to be. They're like, I'm going to go take a bunch of acid and I'm going to go talk to a falcon. And um, and he was the one that could do it. Wait, literally, he, he, he talks to a falcon. I'm looking you... at him touching a falcon right okay. now. He is touching the He's falcon. probably talking to the falcon too. I, he looks, his mouth is open. He's smiling. I don't trust many bearded men, but the way he quaffs and combs his, his facial hair. Beautif- is, beautifully into his yeah. shag. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very welcoming. Uh-huh. It's non-predatory at all. No. It's like, no, yeah, no, no. I, I could be friends with that guy at a dive bar. Yes. Like, I was just going to say, it's the kind of guy that you get in a conversation with at a dive bar. And then like at 2.33 in the morning, he's like, well, honey. I'm going to call you a cab. Yeah. And then you hug him. Yeah. And yep. he's like, you're the best Grizzly Adams. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My name's so Steve. No, oh, everyone just needs a hug. Yeah. Grizzly Adam needs a hug. There are like three or four scenes in this where the girls are talking about the dude's dicks or sleeping with sleeping with some dudes. Mm-hmm. Teenage girls. Yeah. 
Really? What? Really? Speaking from my personal experience, no. Yeah. But I was also pretty bland as far as like sexy stuff. So, um, I don't know. Like I, I, I didn't have a catalog of penises to, uh, address. And, and <laughs> formal language. That penis, penis address, yeah. address book. Or to compare, you know, like my friends it and I. It doesn't need to be you. I mean, you might, you might know people. You're, I mean, also from your bartending I, days. I had a, I had a friend who I swear to God, she's a sociopath. I love her, but she is a sociopath. A hundred percent. And she like would do things all the time where she would not. And she looked and she spoke very confidently and she looked a lot older than she was. And so she had been dating this guy for like a couple years before she was like, it was supposed to be her 20th birthday. And she's like, just kidding. I'm 16. And he was like, sweet God. Cause he was in his mid twenties. Um, and so she seemed very capable and knowledgeable about dicks. And I didn't understand. I thought that they looked strange and I wasn't sure where my vagina was. So I, I don't know. It was just, I am not the best person to ask. I don't know. Okay. I just took the, the dialogue as like sign of the times. Like, hey, we're a bunch of like sassy 80s girls making jokes about dicks. It's a script written by men. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that's the answer. Me and my friends were watching I'm with Busey and making cakes. Fair enough. That's cool. It's so wholesome. I mean, I was playing StarCraft over LAN parties, so yeah, you know, carting a bunch of desktops in a single room and having a bunch of CRT monitors. When we were feeling real, see, that's that's adorable. When we were feeling real naughty, we would watch the Howard Stern Show or mm. Loveline. I was launching a Ford F one fifty over hills and like watching anime. Oh man! <laughs> oh my god! Hold my hand. Come here. Come here. Oh yeah. <laughs> see, I did not know that Josh was such a weeb. I didn't know this. <laughs> <laughs> I I feel like um I feel like we're all getting closer together tonight. Yeah. <laughs> this is a great I episode. Do. I do. I mean, we're learning so much about each other. I don't know. I don't I, we didn't I don't I'm sure we did. We must have. Yeah. I'm but yeah, I guess when we started dabbling in the sex, um maybe we were comparing and contrasting. I'm certain that uh well, I make my gynecologist compare and contrast with me. Every time I go in for like my local checkup, I'm, I'm like, I'm like, am I a medium or am I like, a, like I I'm, need to do this on a scale of like one to 10. How pretty is it? You know? And they're like, please stop. This is a medical procedure. And I'm like, I know, but just hear me out. It's really funny. And it's, well, I don't know. I, it, it was appropriate six years ago. It's probably not. appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of my office.
Christmas movie. hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. Okay. No questions. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that was, that was the last kind of, as part of, as part of the series. Is this a Christmas movie? It's a Christmas movie. Okay. 100%. Excellent. Excellent. Were you guys ready for reviews? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So Elves is a movie that rewards those who see it through. I thought we get stuck in the department store after the girls set up the party there. I did not expect the body count, the conspiratorial spiral, car bombs, electrocution, but I'm still thinking of the best word to describe the look on the elf's face (laughs) (laughs) because it filled me with joy every time I saw that little idiot amused at his killing of a person. (laughs) Yep. So this movie is filmed with a production quality that's like sub an episode of The Outer Limits. (laughs) It's... It's like bullshit, less than TV quality production value. But the story goes places. And it was more enjoyable and more entertaining and often sometimes even scarier than I thought it was going to be. So uh, I have to give Elves a soft seven. Nice. Very good. Very good. Thank you. I'm a fan of the shit. I love bad movies that are... A good time. I mean, I wish I wish I'd not seen this by myself. That uh, takes it down a notch just in terms of a viewing experience. But objectively, the science, the data says <laughs> this movie is fantastic. <laughs> I mean, you got intentional humor that lands. You've got an elf that is hilarious. I mean, Josh summed it up better than I could ever. Um, just a confusing plot that like you can't really stop and think about it for too long because it's just going to move on without you. And I mean, uh, Jeff Mandel, he's got a great imagination. It just feels like a little kid made a movie and um, about incest. (laughs) Oh shit. Now that you mention it, this movie sucks. No. Um, yeah, it's just a weird, it's weird curio, which is a good thing. I highly recommend this movie. I give it an eight. Nice. Nice. When doing some research about what to choose for the Is This Christmas? Is This a Christmas movie mm-hmm. series? Um, I came across this as a recommendation and in just reading the briefest of synopses was like Nazis crossbreeding Christmas elves with the ideal woman to or their opinion of the ideal woman to create a super species, I was like, and it's Christmas themed. I was like, I gotta, I have to know how, how, even if this was an absolute trash fire, I still was going to feel joy. Now it is as slowly paced as it is quickly paced. If you're not really listening to the dialogue or if you look away for a little bit, you are missing key plot points but also it kind of doesn't matter. No. So, um, like, I feel like if you're not paying attention, you can really lose the sight that one of her girlfriends is murdered by the like SS Gestapo dudes. Um, and it's just like peculiarly acted and also just totally bizarre. I loved it. I loved it. They make a great farce out of the craziness and absolute sinister stupidity that, Nazi occult and theology could have been was and just make it as ridiculous and silly as possible. It's also like 
pretty fucking brutal sometimes. And as far as the elf's face goes, <laughs> I would say, and I still am trying to think of a word for this, <laughs> but you know, when you see something that is like ultra disgusting, but it also like <laughs> makes you as excited as possible. Yes. Yes. So you're like, Holy Christ, this is awesome. But Oh my God, like that's what the face is doing. And so every <laughs> single time, <laughs> It shows the face of the elf. It is, it's absolutely hilarious. Um, this movie's bonkers. You should add it to your Christmas watch list. Put it right up there with Die Hard. Kick, in fact, kick Die Hard off the top. Put yeah, it right Di- up there with Home Alone. Die Hard needs a break. Give Die Hard a break. It's not. It's a great movie, but it needs a break. Guys, it's not that. Penalty box. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Give it a couple years off. Um, so with that, I give it a sexy seven. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and they played it straight too. That's the thing is like even though there is some like comedy in there, it's they're never like like winking at the camera or anything. Yeah. It's no, all like too much. Like we have to stop this Nazi elf. <laughs> yeah, I love it for oh. how articulate the two of you are. Like you just can't, you can't put words to the elf's face. That's the best part of this episode. It's super weird. <laughs> Keanu. So, oh. but we, you know, we forgot to mention that it was left as an open-ended. Oh yeah. What was that? Oh, that's right. So, so basically there's a, at the very end of the movie, the elf and Kirsten have kind of an ambiguously soft moment together because she has injured her ankle in the forest. And in that ambiguously soft moment, semen was laid. Apparently. Well, the elf rapes her. Yes. Oh, she's not into it. No. So. We you have the Antichrist. Yes. So when the credits are rolling, you see the backlit embryo of the Antichrist forming in her womb. So the birth of the Antichrist slash the new super soldiers commence. And I would love for there to be an elves too, with two elves. Or they could just two call it, they just call it elves again. <laughs> <laughs> That is yeah. elves too. Elves. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's probably what's going to happen. <laughs> one day, one day, they tie it in with Star Wars. Uh, Fuck you guys. No. <laughs> that will uh, take care of this episode. Our first part in the series of "Is This a Christmas Movie?" Uh, join us next week. We will be doing the Tim Burton mega classic, "Fucking Batman Returns," bitches. Also, um, a Christmas movie. Also, a Christmas movie. Is it? We'll, we'll, we'll find out. Stick with us. We'll talk some more. Mm. Is it a classic? Listen, I'm trying to fuck with people who are like nerding. Out. Like they go to Hot Topic and they're like, oh my God, Nightmare Before Christmas. If I can love that movie. And then they just like, they have an entire wardrobe based on. <laughs> and it's like, I get it. I get it. It's like Jack and Sally. Be creative. Go get someone else. Holy shit. I haven't thought about that in a while. Uh-huh. Batman Returns. Batman Returns. If Bat- we replace that with Nightmare Before Christmas, would you be satisfied? Or sorry, replace Nightmare Before Christmas with Batman Returns. Would you be more satisfied with this world? Um, I do like Nightmare Before Christmas, but I, again, like Die Hard. Just needs to go penalty box. Just put in a penalty box. A couple years. Give it a breather. Yeah. Let's, Let's think outside the box, people. Cool. All right. Well, uh, that's it for us. Uh, just a reminder, please follow us on Instagram. We are at solid6.podcast. And then on Twitter, we are at solid6podcast. Um, on Letterboxd, I am Bruja Jones. Josh Spaceman. Brady Kimball. On everything. Mm. Uh, Can I add one more thing? Please. Hey, we know that 
out there in listener world that you have more podcasts to choose from than grains of sand on a beach. Uh, we appreciate the time that you spend with us. We love making this show and uh, we love hearing back from you guys. So thanks for choosing Solid Six. Thanks for choosing Solid Six. Thanks, y'all. <sighs> Lisa ended it with a light, beautiful snow. Christmas finally came for that small, small town. After elf rape. Oh, yes. Peace out, bitches. Just like the Adios. Where the treetops glisten and children listen to hear bells in the snow I'm dreaming of a white Christmas with every Christmas card